Hello and welcome to hopefully the first annual Talkies Awards on the Joe Talks Comics podcast hosted by me, Joe Talks slash Loves Comics and Mighty Lee's Comics. Where, whether you're joining us uh, just straight away or after listening to the three-hour Best of Comics episode, we're glad to have you and excited to start like officially giving out these awards that we've come up with and our absolute favourites of the year out of all the comics that we we talked about in that best of 2023 episode. Yeah, I'm very stoked. It was uh, already exciting enough knowing I'd be back this year to just chat about a full year's worth of comics, but getting to organize it a little bit more this year has been a, a special bonus, honestly. Uh, it made me think a lot more mindfully about the books that uh, I've been reading all year long, and yeah, it's just kind of fun to see that I'm capable of putting these lists together somehow. Yeah. And so our first category is straight into it, starting very broad, and then we're going to eventually work our way down to getting more specific to our best comic of the year right at the end and our rankings there. But the best publisher, I know that if you listen to the Best Comics of 2023 episode, I, I listed off a lot of image comics we both did. So it's, it's interesting to see image comics right at the top of the, the ranking for best publisher and some some of these we might work from the what's the word that the least number number five and working down to number one or however many there are. But here I'll just gonna start at the top because there were just so many image books like this year that I enjoyed that I got into that you'll know. But it wasn't just quantity, there was also so much quality as well and even like so many that I haven't been able to get into yet that I'm really excited to get into like sacrifices for against all chroma chaos lovesick what's the first place from here nights like those are some of just a, a selection of the ones that we talked about and I, I just yeah i love them all and i think definitely wins out or amongst like a valiant effort from the big two but image was a, a clear pick for me yeah i'm right there with you you kind of took the words right out of my mouth as i was formulating them in my head but it really isn't just a matter of quantity over at Image. Everything that's on my list from them, while it's not everything I read from Image this year, it's still like a substantial list in comparison. Um, I think somehow I still read more DC than anything else, but <laughs> but Black Label will really do that to me. Um, but no, I you already mentioned some of my favorites, but the other ones like Immortal Sergeant, that, that swept me off my feet before anyone else had a chance to read more than the first issue. Um, I couldn't have been more thrilled to have that opportunity to go right from reading my physical copy of the first issue to the advanced PDF of that book. And then, you know, we were just talking about both reading issue three of Knights and how great it is to have Wyatt Kennedy back in comics after Bolero and a a brief pause. But uh, there's just so many books to talk about and it may come down to ranking them today. But at the end of the day, they all hold very special places in my heart. Agreed. And this is a bit more granular because, I mean, I, I feel like I'm one of those people that doesn't necessarily have a massive preference between Marvel or DC. I know lots of people are very like, oh, I'll only read Marvel or I'll only read DC and they sort of dip their toe into the other. But I tend to be fairly mixed. But for this year, I ranked Marvel over DC, even though that I remarked yesterday that I'm like, I'm reading like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman and more all their flagship titles but it's just something that's been so fun about the marvel books that i've read like even more fun with like, fantastic four and 
Moon Knight and Spider-Man, Spider-Boy, Superior Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and a multiple which is sort of revving up and getting going and getting some momentum. It's just, I I, I really enjoy that DC Comics, like, comics, and it's a, it's a very, like, close, almost inconsequential ranking, the way I did it, but, yeah, I, I just had so much fun with them. So I don't know how far your ranking goes for best publisher, but I had only done four originally, which kept Marvel actually off of my list for best publisher. Interesting. Um, at number two, I put Boom Studios. Um, as much as Marvel Comics got me into reading comics, it's been the indie books that have been winning me over more than anything since I've been reading, um, again, starting 2019. And Boom Studios had so many killer reads this year. Um, they seem to really have a grip on the uh, limited series. Um, I'm talking like the Alice Never After uh, continuation I just talked about finishing up yesterday. Uh, we just got introduced to Zawa in the Belly of the Beast. Uh, Sirens of the City is wrapping up uh, next month in January. Know Your Station. Um, and then they have books like Damn Them All that's set for a six-issue series getting expanded into a, a much longer book because of just how well-received it is. So uh, Boom is uh, right there with Image. Um, it's hard to put one over the other, but at the end of the day, I think I'm more sucked into the, the Image books because of the ongoing nature of some of those. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. And Boom is still one of those publishers that I, I'm excited to read more of eventually. When I try to... When I say my poor list is all mixed in with indies, that tends to be mostly image stuff, just because of like how much you can like fit on my poor list. But it, it has been nice to get into some boom stuff here and there when I can. Well, it's definitely definitely worthwhile, especially like I said, they're one of those publishers that, as much as I always encourage getting single issues to support the books, you could very much trade weight those series and get a nice collected edition that's a one and done story, five to six issues, bada bing, bada boom read it in one yeah. sitting and just be kind of moved and blown away versus going to image and being like okay uh, let's look at the backlog of image books which compendium do i want to start with <laughs> kind of thing or uh what have you so i i think boom has the accessibility of those limited series for folks that are like look i want to read but i want to have different things i'm reading and i want to be able to keep changing up what i'm reading um, yeah it was funny with when Wind Thrown in the Sky, the third series, the third volume, was announced in single issues because I'd already like discovered and fell in love with the series through the first two hardcovers. So then when that series was announced, I was like, oh, that looks really cool, but like I have to wait for the, the hardcover to like maintain that consistency and get the, the third one and have it nice on the shelf. And, and it, it was definitely worth the wait, but it's just like, I think by that point, I... I would have like loved to. I would have been perfectly fine with collecting it in issues if I hadn't already had the first two hardcovers. But then equally, as you say, it's nice when you can have series that work just as well both ways, in a sense. Yeah, I wish that I had the first two volumes of Wind uh, in individual issues, but I, I didn't catch on until roughly the same uh, point where like both trades were out for me at least, um, and I got them maybe a, a few months before thrown in the sky actually started releasing and it was a series that i was too eager about and then they started announcing the covers for and i was like oh shit um i know we talked to dave rubin yesterday and we'll talk about him more later but he has a variant for uh thrown in the sky that's just like oh my gosh can you just draw everything dude um and yeah wind 
wind blows me away. And that's definitely one of those. I know it came out last year, but uh, even just stuff that I typically associate with the Boom catalog really resonates with me a lot. I feel like they handle um, some more direct representation than maybe images keen on doing. Not the image ever strays away necessarily, but I do feel like whenever I think of some of my like stronghold series of like, hey, you're either sending a really clear cut message out into the world or you're showing people existing that people seem to not realize just kind of casually exist. Um, whether that be queer representation in something like Neighbors or Specs um, or, you know, just any of these things. You got uh, disabled representation in House of Slaughter as kind of brutal as it may be in those instances. But technically, I mean, it is there and there, there's all these different... I forgot the thought immediately because I was getting ready to say something that I had already said. So that's all I had on Boom. Yeah. And then, so yeah, just to make it clear, number four was Dark Horse with like Claire and Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos, which we talked about in the other episode, much we loved. And the alternates from The World of Mind of Threats and you know, the graphic novel, The Unlikely Story of Felix and Macabre, which are all just like awesome reads I would re- recommend. And then Boom Studios at number five that we just talked about for books like Specs and Sawar and Wind, and that's as far as my ranking goes for Best Publisher. Nice. So I must have uh, missed one of yours. Did you have uh, Marvel and then DC and then was it Dark Horse? Yes. Okay. That's where I missed it is whenever you threw the DC in there. Uh, for me, number three is Dark Horse. Uh, all the books that you had mentioned – uh, that I did get to read, that is, because I know we talked about alternates, which is one I, I am eager to read more than ever now that you've talked to me about it, and it seems like I don't need to be worried about not getting a chance to read those last two issues of Minor Threats. Um, but Matt Kent kind of won me over, and so did Tiny Onion moving its way to uh, Dark Horse this year with Blue Book, uh, Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos. Uh, you know, those tiny books are great, and I know how much involved Tate is in Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos. I'm always curious to talk to those uh, dual writers in these situations to see, like, okay, which parts of this did Tinyan uh, add, and what is Tate adding when it's, like, the House of Slaughter arcs, and especially with Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos. Um, but then Dark Horse also has my Kevin Smith books, um, and the Kyle Starks smash hit Where Monsters Lie. Uh, and then number four, I put DC. Uh, like I said, Black Label is just really killing it, as always. Um, be it the One Bad Day one-shots or all of the ridiculously awesome Batman Elseworlds-type stories we're getting. Um, but the biggest heartbreak for me in comics this year, other than having to drop a bunch of series towards the end here, was over the summer during Night Terrors when all my DC books stopped coming out. Um, Because I couldn't afford to pick up Night Terrors, and I was like, I just want to read my stuff. So having that hole in my heart of like, I just, I didn't have any of my DC books coming out. I miss my Harley and my Catwoman and my Poison Ivy. Those those three have been staples for me. Harley's been a book that I've been reading since it came out. Um, And it's the longest running book I've read from the beginning of it coming out. So uh, it's one of those that even whenever it's uh, changed pace or course in in one regard or another uh i have a hard time letting that one go uh but then number five i had marvel like i said originally i didn't go to five but um i i love my marvel books i do as much as uh marvel raised me uh i do feel like dc lands it better in the comics for me personally uh it 
I'm right there with you. I'm not one of those people that thinks you have to be Marvel or DC. I think there's a very, very healthy middle ground of preferring indie comics to all of them. And then also (laughs) just appreciating both of the big two for what they provide because they're different stories, different characters. And, uh, you know, they get these teams of writers that they get and it seems that sometimes they cross paths. But uh, I think right now DC's got uh, a little bit more of my heart in the comic world than Marvel. Makes sense. Next, for some of these longer categories, just list them off from the, the bottom to the top. Yeah, totally. And then give it like a sentence or two about them. And, and if you want more detail, you can listen to that long three-hour episode. Hopefully this won't be as long, or the, the summary. But uh, the best big two series at 10, I had the Immortal Soul, Al Ewing, Martin Kukurdo, Matthew Wilson. This, this is a series I wasn't in, originally intending on picking up, but I'm very glad I did because I'm always not always particularly interested in picking up a Thor book, but Al Ewing and Martin and Matthew have done such a great job with having lots of like fun action and like building up lots of interesting threads, and it just it looks great, and it's been such a fun read so far. Nine, Superman, like Joshua Williamson, Jamal Cavell, Glenn Melnikov and others. It's been such a another fun series that has been telling like nice episodic issues but also building up this larger thread and it's nice to see that Williamson manages to handle that nicely and scale the story in it even though he's sort of writing a lot of DC work at the moment it feels still quite contained to the Superman universe especially with everything going with the next and that whole thread which has been great. Wonder Woman by Tom King and Daniel Sempet, Rory Clayton Cowles is number eight Again, another one that I wasn't initially intending on picking up, but it's definitely left a mark in how uniquely Tom King tells his stories and structures his issues, and the gorgeous artwork by Daniel Semper. It's for better or worse taking Wonder Woman in a bold new direction, and I'm excited to see where all of that goes. Number seven, Mars Morales, Spider-Man by Cody Ziglar, Enrico Santini, Zepatini, and uh, some other artists along that time frame but this series has just been so refreshing dealing with still quite emotionally grounded problems for miles amongst the more literal sort of action-packed problems that he's encountering between this new villain rebel in the first arc and carnage and he dragged into all these things now with gang one the amazing spider-man title with hobgoblin it's been one of my maybe uh, underrated titles on my pool in the sense like compared to other juggernauts but it's been a lot of fun Batman Superman World's Finest was at number 6 by Mark Way, Dan Mora, Tamla from Villains Duke Bonds. it's just such a delight, I know lots of people have already said about this but it's offset in that classic Silver Age fun storytelling, it's bright it's colourful, it's Batman Superman and it's telling like, nice concise stories on, in each volume and it's been a very easy and clear favourite that I know lots of people that are enjoying, and I've definitely been one of them. Number five, the trio Spider-Man, Spider-Boy, and Superior Spider-Man, like Dan Slott, Mark Bagley, Medina, some awesome people working on that. And this whole thread has been so great and entertaining to follow since it started with the end of Spider-Man story, which could have been more of a like a cheap synergy cash grab to the... Uh, at the time of coming across the Spider-Verse movie, but eventually evolved from that, which is still quite fun, into something more with like Spider-Boy and 
occurrence. Doc Ock would probably see the superior Spider-Man storyline, but not necessarily in a way you'd expect so far. It's been so much a delight to see where how that thread's been going. And as I said in the other episode, and some of my reviews, you can tell that Dan Slott is having a lot of fun, and frankly, so am I, definitely. Number four, Batman and Robin, Joshua Williamson and Simone DiMeo. It's gorgeous artwork by Mayo. It's always such a fun to have him on interior work. I mean, his covers are fantastic enough. But to, to see him on this work and on a Damien book and Williamson continuing his Damien threads from the, the Robin service there was a couple of years ago, it has just been so awesome because he's one of my favourite characters. And while I can sometimes be hot and cold on Williamson's work, his work here on Superman and Batman and Robin it has just been awesome. Whether that's sort of the action-packed scenes or Damien going to school, it's, it's been a lot to offer from this series, even a few issues in. Moon Knight was number three. And this that series has just been spectacular. It's, it's one where I'm grateful for Mighty giving me his Marvel Digital Code, so I've continued to uh, read that at least to the end of this this current run before it gets numbered and read, etc. But I mean, yeah, the artwork is spectacular by Alessandro uh, Capuccio, Federico Bettini, uh, Rochelle Rosenberg on colours, so bright and sort of cinematic and gorgeous in a sense that. There's something really satisfying about how like Moonlight glows in this series that I really love. It's white and it's incorporated a lot of new characters, Jed McKay, creating new people and bringing back various villains and crafting such a, a thrilling superhero book that just really stands out. Number two is Birds of Prey, Kelly Thompson, Leonardo Romero and Jordi Belair. It has, again, it, it's just, it's so fun and it stands out. It's not just another superhero series. It's not even just another, like, Birds of Prey book or female book, Kelly Thompson brings such life and humour and levity and heart. These characters, especially with such incredible action, brought to life by Romero and the very retro-tinged colouring by Belair, which has been such an unexpected treat on these issues so far. Just another one where, especially well, now we're starting to get solicitations of the second arc. I, I really hope that this series gets to have a long runway because I've loved it so far. And at number one, Fantastic Four by Brian North, Ibn Quello, Jesus Abatov, and sometimes even Valuelli doing some of the issues. Again, a bit like Superman, it's done such a great job of telling like episodic stories, but on a much longer extent so far, going over for a dozen issues now. There hasn't been anything more than a two-part storyline, been like one or two parts, and keeping it fresh, focusing on the different characters, making sure they all get sort of an equal spotlight, and it, it just sort of amazing, amazes me on these issues how like North keeps coming up with these like new ideas that like genuinely feels fresh, which was like such a, a surprise these days, like 60 years after like the Fantastic Force creation at least. And it is another one where I'm just loving every issue and really hoping that we get another nice long run on that. Now over to you. Well, we definitely have some lineup here, but starting off with my number 10, we got Clobberin' Time, which is just, like I said yesterday, It to me it's like just the fun of Marvel Comics. That's It's the epitome of Marvel Comic fun to me. It doesn't have anything huge to say. It doesn't have um, anything substantially effective to any continuity or timeline stuff. It's just a fun series of stories uh, that all connect on one mission line for the thing and then uh, various uh, 
team ups that he does. So I, I really love that. Steve Gross uh, does the full full shebang on that uh, with the assist of some coloring. Um, I can't remember the color's name. I actually have it right here if it wants to show me on the screen. But um, I really like that book. I think it was super underread and under-talked about. So I'm happy to give it that spot, even if it is towards the bottom end. It's just because so many of these big two series kind of blew me out of the water still. Um, number nine, uh, another one I loved talking about yesterday, uh, Miss Marvel, New Mutant. I was skeptical about the death of Kamala Khan. I thought it was kind of a weird move. I was surprised that it was handled as graciously as I felt it was. Um, even where it had lapses, I still felt that it was handled pretty well. thought the Hellfire Gala resurrected her in noble manner, and I think that this series, co-written by Mon Villani, really just like everything that is Miss Marvel. Um, it made me connect with the character even more than ever before, and I am beyond stoked that she'll be back for another miniseries series next year i think that that is like i said yesterday the marvel dream come true um number eight uh this one's surprisingly lower on the list considering how vocal i am about this series but at the end of the day it comes down to the nature of the story itself i am enthralled by the art of dr strange fall sunrise it is the most beautiful book i think on this list of the top big two um and you know, the story, as poetic and beautiful as it is to read, it is a forgettable tale of a Doctor Strange adventure. Um, but the art and the poetry and the writing is what's there. I remember the feeling of the book more than I remember the actual content of the book. And so uh, that's Doctor Strange Fall Sunrise. Again, if you're going to check that one out, please get the Treasury Edition for your sake and my sake. Um, you deserve to read it without the ads. Um, number seven, I know this is this is probably the most – oh, come on, Mark. You've only read one issue, but it had to get its way on the list. Uh, Batman Gargoyle of Gotham, issue one, really, really set forth uh, Raphael Grandpa's vision of the Dark Knight beyond Bruce Wayne and his artwork in there. You know, before I even opened up the copy that I got, I checked out the noir edition at the shop I was working at. And I just blown away. It has my single favorite image of Batman to ever come to me in a comic. Um, I I can't recommend that one highly enough. I think it's you know only a th it, it's one of the black label books. So I think it's a three issue series if I'm not mistaken. But uh, of the Batman black label books that kind of kicked off at the end of the year here, Gargoyle Gotham uh, left me completely knocked off my feet. Number six, I have. Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Redder. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you all the names in this, so I'll tell you my favorite ones that I can remember being uh, Kelly Thompson. We got uh, Zoe Thorogood, Lana Vacheo, uh, with Ryan Perot on that story. And we got Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips, my That Texas Blood Gang coming over to D.C. for a Old Lady Harley story. Um, and just, count, like I said, countless other creators. There's like... At least two create well no because Zoe did her own thing so upwards of uh, two or more creators on three issues per I mean three stories per issue so it's hard to keep track of just all the amazing creatives in there but this uh, anthology has had not only just some of my favorite Harley stories but it has yet to have one that I disliked um, there was never a point in any of these stories that made me want to close it and be like no that was 
that was bad. Why did they even let you write a Harley story or anything like that? There, there's been, and and that's a character I feel like I'm very protective of too. So to have such a gracious um, anthology series that's so well rounded and covers the every nuance of Harley Quinn, um, lover hater, I, I I adore the lady. So uh, number five, uh, we got a book that has kind of ruled my. DC Black Label list for the last two years, Riddler Year One. I had, you know, low expectations for this series going in. I was very interested, though, but I didn't know what to expect. It was the first time I was reading a tie-in comic book that was supposed to tie into a movie I had seen, um, not including like the comic book adaptations that I've read, um, where they, you know, just put the movie into a 32 pager and stuff like that. Riddler year one, Paul Dano knew this character more than I think Matt Reeves knew this character that he was even writing for. Um, the representation in this, uh, as clear or as hazy as the line may be, as there's no DX is really given. Uh, I very much felt represented in terms of my OCD and my autism throughout this series. And I think it touched on the mental health side of that Riddler story that really, really, it, it was just impactful as hell. And Stefan Subic's uh, artwork just absolutely guttural. I mean, uh, I, I talked briefly about it and I, I'll uh, mention it only briefly, but that issue that's, like I said, every page is just like it was ripped from an accounting book that has all of the different columns and stuff. And it's just, you know, like handwriting madman's handwriting all over it plotting mm. out the details of the what will come in the final issue of the series leading up to the events of the film and i i couldn't be more floored by this series which gets me to number four uh i think it's no surprise she hulk is on this list for me uh i was bummed when last year it started and then had like a four-month hiatus um so that it could release closer to the show i believe but all the same, uh, Rainbow Rowell and all this creative team, uh, those Jen Bartel covers and all the variant artists have come through even. Every last bit of this She-Hulk book has been something for me to love and uh, enjoy. Um, Jen is forever established as a, as a true favorite Marvel character. Um, I think it genuinely goes Spider-Man, She-Hulk, and then Fantastic Four as a group. Um, which really says something because, you know, I, I haven't gotten a chance to fully delve into She-Hulk stuff, but of the things I've read, I, I definitely adore everything that Rainbow Rowell's done. And I'm excited to keep reading on this sensational She-Hulk run as it's just kickstarted off. I've got the issue number two next to me, and I'm eager to read that later today. Um, number three, another one that should uh, come as no surprise. I've got Poison Ivy by G. Will Wilson. And is it Marco Takari? I might be butchering the name, and that's why I try not to even try and say names, but Poison Ivy was supposed to be six issues, and it's on issue 17. I just read it last night with uh, Luana Vacheo on guest art, and I couldn't be happier to have read that before talking about it right now because no shade to the art of this series in any way, shape, or form. It's been some of the hands-down best of the best the entire series. Um, every element of it, all the colors, all the the green sequences where you know ivy's manifesting these different forms um all the body horror of the series it's been spot on but to have 
one of my all-time favorite interior artists, Lana Vacheo, on an entire two-issue storyline for issue 17 and then 18 next month. I could not be more thrilled. Um, Somehow, even, like, Killer Croc has this, like, damn, you're looking fine, dude, whenever he's drawn by Luana. And I think that that's that's just precious. But um, I, I, I... can't speak highly enough of g will wilson as a writer and just creator in general um so poison ivy i think is uh definitely so well deserving of that extension and i'm, I'm so happy to keep reading it and then oddly enough i'll do these uh a little bit quicker maybe because they're this we got the same top two uh birds of prey is number two uh with only the four issues in it was harder for me to put this above fantastic four so i i, I did settle it at two um kelly thompson won my heart and soul this year and it continued through her story in harley quinn uh, black white and redder and then uh further in this run of birds of prey um everything that joe said tenfold uh i i'd be remiss if i didn't specifically compliment jordi belair and leonardo romero for this fresh pulpy retro vibe that this book i mean it just it screams its colors at you when you open it up and it, it it's stunning to look at but the way that it hits my heart even operating with mostly characters i know little to nothing about i think that that uh, that's just beyond special and then last but not least because we went backwards it's fantastic four in the number one spot um I was beyond thrilled to hear that Fantastic Four was getting a new ongoing start because when I got back into comics in 2019, I think it was near issue 22 or something like that. Um, Maybe a little bit earlier. I can't honestly remember. But it was enough into it that I didn't have the money to just go buy 10-plus back issues for wherever it was to catch up. So I didn't read anything of that previous run. The only Fantastic Four run I've read to completion is... um, Ultimate Fantastic Four, which is the comic series that was the first comic series I read, not just individual random books I found at trade shows. Um, so now we have Ryan North and uh, Ivan Cabello, and I can't ever remember the person who's a guest artist because I didn't even realize there was a guest artist. Um, but everyone working on this book, even to Alex Ross's covers, um, has been so evident that there's nothing but love for these characters even the ones that we poke fun at, like Dr. Doom. Um, Doom can be a menacing threat while simultaneously being a laughing stock. And I think that uh, the episodic nature, like we've talked about yesterday in uh, this series, where you don't have to worry about a crossover event or a, a, a full arc event, where if you miss issue four, you can't read issue five. Um there may be some times where there's a two parts issues like series uh, story. I mean, but ultimately we're just getting these characters at their best, at their worst, at their goofiest. And um, it's just so endearing. So easy pick for me on fantastic four for number one on the best bit too. Nice. And that leads us nicely into best indie series. So starting from the top or the bottom again, Knights at number 10. This is one of those where I didn't initially include this in my top 10 indie series because it's so early on, but then like having read the third issue in between recordings and just how much 
fun that I have a bit on my work. Kennedy's writing Luigi Formizano's artwork, Gloria Martinini's like colouring. It's just all so our friends Jessica Sagada on colours as well. Maria Lettia Maria Bella on lettering as well. It's just the whole aesthetic of it is so addictive and it was fun to see, especially say in that the third issue when the second issue was more just about main, one of the main characters and it's just walking home through the woods and then issue three was sort of looking like it's going to be more slice of life but then there's some like nice action and nice like world building being introduced and it just makes it a lot of fun to read and I'm really excited to see what the plans are for it as it goes on. And number nine, what's the furthest place from here? A consistent favourite now from Matthew Rosenberg, Tyler Boss, and that's that lots of me now. This has been a fun year for the series because we've moved beyond the first arc and without saying too much about it, if you haven't read it, everyone's sort of scattered and we're following lots of different threads and lots of different people and some of it in the, the past, some of it in the present. And it's weird in like the, some of the best ways and how all this lore of this weird world is you know, coming together or all like brilliantly illustrated and lettered by Tyler and Hassan and how it just feel, has a very like rough and indie atmosphere and aesthetic letter which I, I really like. And number eight, I had Love Sick. That was the the back half of that series, which I talked about a bit yesterday, how interesting and as rough that series is by the one of EGO. The artwork is absolutely gorgeous. One of the most gorgeous series that I've read and also one of the most disturbing the way it starts dealing with this red room and this dominatrix and incels and how it sort of spirals into cannibalism, this weird relationship with this guy that the main character knows. It's, yeah, if you can stomach it, it was a fascinating seven-issue series, but the description says that it's not for the faint of heart, and I could absolutely agree. God. Seven is The Plot Holes, Sean Murphy, David Stewart, Matt Hollingsworth, and what design this oh, I I always use the word fun talk about these books, but like genuinely it's been like a short, snappy five issue series. I has been so thrilling and I'm really looking forward to the conclusion with issue five in January. Focused on these like characters that are characters from fiction stories that get pulled into this weird sort of machine within a, a book and they have to go fix plots to like make them ready to go on the shelf and prevent them from getting destroyed and there's like a, a blue shape-shifting tiger, a vampire assassin, a, just a normal dude that's an author that was in a story and like a, a Cavill and Hobbs inspired little, little kid that's really racist and an anime dude and seeing like Sean Murphy illustrate and explore all these different worlds and how like it's so gorgeously coloured as well by Stuart and Hollingsworth, so rich and yeah, one of my absolute favourites and one of the easily the most underrated of the year that I would highly recommend, especially when it's hopefully collected in a another trade. Kaya is number six, Wes Craig, Jason Wedding and what design. It's been, again, one of the series that I always try to champion and get people to check out and make sure that enough people know about it, that want to read it and would enjoy it so it can go on for as long as uh, Craig and the team wants to take it. It's a nice big fantasy series focused on uh, the girl Kaya and her, her brother and how he might be prophesied to take down this empire 
was ruled by these robots in this weird, maybe post-apocalyptic world with lizards and the adventures they get up to in different realms. And it's such a, a gorgeous, rich art style, like Chris Craig, that's much more animated and cartoonish and more sort of pop arty than like Deadly Class, if you know his work on that bit remainder, which is a very rough and gritty. This is a completely different, much softer and, and slicker and really satisfying. And number five, The Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos from Tate Bromble with ideas from James Tiny the Fourth, art by Isaac Goodhart, coloring by Mikhail Alberto, doing by Spudkar. There's just so much to know about this series, whether it's the sort of quirky reimagining of the Universal Monsters of like a adult like Frankenstein that's introducing Christopher Chaos, his friend Viv, and Dracula Boy to this new world of monsters and the people that want to hunt them down and then the the queer representation, the autistic representation, the like the, the trans representation with like Dracula Boy. It it's all so special and has been such a a highlight of, of this year and it, yeah it's, it's another one that consistently I'm, I'm so excited to see where it goes. Number four I had Chroma written, drawn and coloured by Lorenzo Di Felici. This was such a, a surprise treat earlier in the year when a interview with Mighty and I and Lorenzo was organised, like, going to talk to him all about his process of this series, about these like, people that are just living in black and white to try and save themselves from these lizards, and how colour is used in this series. It's breathtaking, and especially now that it's collected in trade, I really need to get that trade and reread it, because it's such a powerful ending, and it was paced so brilliantly for a series. It's one that I... It was, it was earlier in the year, started in the 2022, that... I definitely recommend you go back and check out. And number three, I had Claire from Scott Snyder, Francis Manipal, uh, Dark Horse Comics, like Audio Pedestrian Life, Chaos. Claire is one that I didn't include in my best like overall comic of the year, but while we're talking about indie series, I had to include it. And I didn't include it on that list because it already came out last year, digitally finished up on Comicsology, but given that it released physically from Dark Horse, and I to reread it, enjoy it, and Mighty read it, and hopefully lots more people read it. I just had to mention it again, because I just adore this series, the sci-fi premise where you can filter the world however you want to see it, and sort of the sci-fi noir detective stories that spins out of it, with just, you know, Manipal is one of my absolute favourite artists, and his artwork on this was just consistently breathtaking, the gorgeous style to convey these different filters and the like, the atmosphere and the gravitas of it all went with a an excellent story by Scott Snyder, who was a consistent favourite. Both the team means a lot to me, and it was such a fun story that I'm really glad it lived up to what I was hoping for. Like every time I read it. Number two, I had All Against All, Alex Pecknadel, Casper Wingard, Hassan, and a whole nettering. This one was one that I was originally going to trade rate when it originally came out at the end of 2022 and continued into this year, but I just could not resist. After falling in love with Wingard's artwork on Homesick Pilots with Dan Waters, I had to ship this out and had such a wild premise. These alien squid things in the future that sort of treating us as an environment and this like 
so it was discovered as like Tarzan meets Alien, which sounds absolutely crazy, and it just sort of blew my mind about trying to like comprehend it in a story that Patton is telling, and especially phenomenally illustrated by Wingarden, brilliantly lettered by Hassan. It was just fantastic. It's another one where I can maybe be convinced to pick up the trade, even though I have the issues. Number one, though, I had The Sacrifices, which, oh, like I mentioned yesterday, this hit my pick of the week. So, like, the first three issues, three, not, like, just three issues in a row, but the first three issues. And so talk about a strong, like, first impression, something that's really hit for me right out of the gates. And it's just sort of shook me as something so poignant and brilliantly illustrated by Max Fayumaro, coloured by Dave McKay, lettered by Ross Bluton, that has this, again, this, like, fantasy feel to it, where it has a weight to it. It feels, like, heartbreaking, and written by Rick Minder, and these, like, tales of these, like, gods, the daughter of this god, and these people that have to sacrifice one of their own to supposedly keep this utopia running even though it doesn't actually like affect them they're, they're not living in a utopia only the gods are and so there's a lot of like, important points were sort of conveyed there and it's just wonderfully told and we, we both read the latest issue right before this recording and oh it does not let up uh, as it goes on it it's only get worse it's going to be funny to then build right back up to talking about the same thing but we're going to do it anyway because it, it worked out last time uh number 10 uh, I talked about Junkyard Joe being a book I almost dropped after pre-ordering the first issue. It was just time to cut my list, and I was like, okay, Geiger took long enough to have any continuation in the unnamed universe. Uh, I can just wait and read Junkyard Joe later. I don't really want some like pro-military book by chance. I didn't know what to fully expect. Um, and right away from first issue, I went and I immediately made sure I pre-ordered all the other issues because... I was so moved by this tale of, you know, sacrifice and PTSD and, you know, the impact of generational storytelling. Um, there's just so much depth to this book about a robot soldier um, that finds his way into being a comic strip. And I I have nothing but love for that series. And, uh, you know, it my introduction to Jeff Johns' work was Geiger, and that's a, you know, he's got the same team on uh, Gary Frank and Brad Anderson on art as well, and I'm excited to see where this world goes. Uh, I know we were both posting about Ghost Machine. I got the advanced uh, copy of that in my inbox to read soon. Um, I really like The Unnamed. I think it's a unique world of characters to be building, and um, I think even if you haven't read Geiger and you want to jump in at Junkyard Joe, the book absolutely works for you to do that. Um, and I would encourage it because I think Junkyard Joe could win anybody over. Um, number nine, I've got The Coal. This is one I wanted to fully be caught up on in time to record, but unfortunately issue four is unread right next to me as well. Um, between the interview we had with Kelly Thompson and you know both interviews, that is, and all of her series this year, she's really just like toppled her way through to becoming a true favorite of mine. And this book is so unexpected in where it seems to be going, which is fascinating because after the first issue, you don't have a clue where it's going, but you kind of can hypothesize. And I don't think that I could have ever come anywhere close to guessing just quite what this book was going to be. And maybe that's my fault because 
apparently everyone else knows what a coal is and what culling is. Um, but I didn't know that until after reading the third issue. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness, what the hell? Uh, but Mattia DeLuise's artwork is breathtaking to say the least, cinematic for sure. And I mean, when it, I, it looks like these are screen caps from a, a film. It, it's yeah. hard, to, hard to fathom that somebody could do this by hand. Um, but sure enough, it, it's happening, and it's happening in the coal, which, um, you know, Kelly talked about fitting it all into five issues, and last issue comes out uh, just around the corner. So I'm eager to finish this story, and uh, I couldn't be happier to say it's definitely one of my favorites of the year. Number eight, this one, you know, as I look it up to confirm the writer and artist's name, uh, I recognize only one issue of it came out this year. But it came out in such a weird release range last year that I didn't have the chance to read it yet. And it had just started. So it had like, it should have been, I think, October, November, December, and January. And instead it became like November, December, December, and then February somehow. So it was a weird release date. But because of that, I spent the first couple of months this year thinking nonstop about this book Sarah Lone um, by Eric Arn I, again I, I'm terrible with names Eric Arnaud I think and uh, David Morancho uh, this is a book that was translated from French I believe um, which I'm so jealous of their hardcovers because each of these issues came out as a like a hardcover instead of like a single issue format but Sumerian picked this up and I couldn't be happier because this is a book that took me by surprise. I, I mentioned briefly yesterday, I'm not big on period pieces um, and stuff like that. This is set in uh, 1963-ish, circa JFK assassination around civil rights movement. And the main character is a woman who at the start of the story is an exotic dancer. Um, so, you know, she doesn't get treated the best through this. So it is a very tough book to read, but... It was thrilling. Um, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. And like I said, it, it does only hold the lower spot on here because technically most of it came out last year. But again, timing-wise, I didn't get a chance to fully check it out until I think after we had recorded, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and if you go back to that recording and I did mention it, then sue me. Um, up next, Sirens of the City, another one I'm officially caught up for and ready for the finale. Uh, Joanne Starr came out of nowhere for me, at least, and uh, won me over with the little comic called The Gimmick earlier this year. Um, a fun little wrestling book from Ahoy Comics, and surprised the hell out of me with the first issue of Sirens of the City, a book that I was stoked to check out based on the solicitation, but only more so whenever I open up in the first pages this, you know, young woman basically spitting in the face of forced birthers outside of an abortion clinic that are like yelling at her and calling her names and Carrie Randolph's art in this is so stellar it's uh comparable to little monsters in color scheme in that it is mostly a black and white book but certain characters and certain elements of the story have color highlights to kind of differentiate them from each other mostly within these like different species of monsters and uh others pretty much um so there's these faint blues and reds and greens that'll come up periodically but it is stunning it is stunning to look at and the book couldn't be more timely 
um, especially here in the state side um, with Roe v. Wade and all that going overturned. You got all sorts of crap going on in the world where uh, a story about a young woman with a baby that everyone wants her to keep except for her is all too timely and it's handled so well um, and elegantly to, considering how graphic of a issue it deals with it sometimes. Um, I, I wish I could make everybody read this book. It's one of those books like Animal Castle. I wish I could make everybody read Sirens of the City. Um, number six is something epic. I will live and die by this book. Um, Simon uh, Kredansky came onto the scene with One Man Art this year, and I was wicked stoked to see the trailer when the image sent it to me. I was with my boss out at lunch, and I was like, check this out. This sounds cool as hell. And they had like the first three pages. And I was so sold on the art style alone that I wanted to read it. But this idea of this kid who can interact with the imaginary world surrounding all of us was an immediate selling point for me. Um, and the heart and soul of this book and this tale of creativity and loss and grief and just so much, it's so compelling to me um as a creative myself to have somebody so beautifully speak on topics that i've almost felt you know in, well in the past i've been shamed for feeling as passionate as these words are about being creative and about this ability we have in ourselves to make from nothing um so something epic. I, I haven't read the last issue of this arc. It's over here next to me as well. But uh, I, I really adore this series. And then number five, uh, a little bit higher up than your list, but uh, I couldn't be happier that Wyatt Kennedy is back in comics with Knights. Uh, Luigi uh, For Formisano and uh, Francesco Segala and Maribel, uh, ML Maribel, all of these folks are putting some of the most unique elements into this book that they can be it the the colors being and i don't think that uh, either of us talked about it but this book is printed like hell it is it is so beautifully printed it is one mm -hmm. of the best printed books of the year um and maybe even in my collection in general like the pages are so dense and full of ink and color it's stunning um, just like holding it in my hands and at no point does it ever feel like I'm sweating through the book or anything like production aside this book is fun as all get out um, it's got action it's got intrigue um, but mostly it's got a cast of characters that you want to sit around and smoke with um, and I I couldn't be more eager to read on um, bonus points that this book comes with the soundtrack which has yet to let me down um, I've had Stacy Q, Two of Hearts stuck in my head all morning, and I have no shame about it. Um, number four, we've got Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos, another one we both spoke very highly of already. I won't dip too heavily into it because I think I kind of overdid it yesterday when I was gabbing, but uh, having an autistic character to read in a book means more to me than I'll ever have enough words to say uh, to really get the point across. Um, I love each and every character we've met from Viv, Adam, Dracula Boy, and especially Chris. Um, I think that Isaac Goodhart's art and paired with Mikhail Muerto's colors, especially like I mentioned in those, uh, 
headquarter scenes that are just so starkly white in comparison to the poppy colors that are we have such a fun time trying to describe this series joe and i because we want to say it's kind of animated but it isn't necessarily what we'd say when we normally say animated there's this bit to it that's almost kind of traditional comic nature to me it feels like that it's just a very very lovely blend and i i love every last bit of this book um tate bromble uh, won me over with House of Slaughter and um, Be- Behold Behemoth and continues to blow me away with this. And uh, I love the ideas that are presented in this series. And uh, that brings me to number three. Another one that started last year. I did get a chance to talk about it last year, but it was one of those books I didn't dare fully say was like in my best of because it had only had one issue out. Um, I said then it would be in in contenders for best book of the year and Chroma managed to land in third place for me this year. Um, If there's a more beautiful looking book out there from this year, I can't remember it because of how much Chroma's interiors live rent free in my mind. Um, such a beautiful tale told through color, and I I remember that feeling I had when I closed the first issue last year, and I was like, this is going to be one of the best books of the next year. I need to make sure we sell as much of it as possible. <coughs> and, uh, sure enough, everyone that I, I got reading it at the shop fell madly in love with it, and then the opportunity to talk to Lorenzo um, from all the way over here, you know, it, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a thrill to have this connectivity that we have with the world, Joe, where I'm talking to you and you're in England and I'm in Colorado and we were talking to Michael in Greece. And, uh, you know, we've talked to some people from all over the world, states and otherwise. And uh, Lorenzo was such a inspirational creator to talk to. Um, I think if you were ever in a position where you wanted to go to somebody and you're like, okay, Lorenzo's my go-to guy to, to pet me up. I think that he could inspire a generation of artists. Um, and I think he does literally teach art over there. And I, it's no surprise. The man is brilliant. Um, and so is Chroma. Uh, my top two, it was a very hard one to pick, Joe. But especially after reading the, the issue I read this morning, um, yeah, Immortal Sergeant takes number two. Um, it, it's a harder book for me to talk about because it's so personal, and I don't need a trauma dump mm. on the world in a podcast, so I'd really rather not. I just like this story of a abusive father and abused son. It means more to me than almost any other book on this list, no matter how much I liked other books. If there's one book that resonated more with me personally, it's Immortal Sergeant. So while it's number two overall, because I read comics for various reasons, um, this book is probably the closest to my heart of all these books. Um, That is uh, Joe Kelly and Ken Nimura. And just wow, there's, there's not a lot of, you know crazy action or anything like that but it's a drama for the ages and uh, it reminds me i need to read i kill giants by these fellas because i love the film but i've never had a chance to read the book um i didn't know it was a book until i I moved to colorado but uh that's a moral sergeant i i reading that before it even finished coming out remotely was an honor and a half um 
and I'm uh, eager to add it to my collection officially one of these days since I, uh, I was only able to read that advanced review that they sent me, but oh man, what a read it was. And then we'll sound like gentle broken records as uh, Sacrificers is back on the menu. Issue 5 ripped my heart out and it fed it to me. And before I could even put my headset on for this interview um, or podcast, I mean, it was so damn brutal. And it, it, it it's one of those things where whenever you see a book taking risks and chances with what they will and won't do, um, you have to admire it. Because, I, I mean, I woke up this morning, I was watching a video of someone who uh, was talking about, you know, this idea of Marvel fatigue. And really what it is, is once everybody was snapped back into existence, death lost all meaning in the MCU for the most part. And so whenever you have a story based on the idea that the characters you're following are destined from birth to be sacrificed, it makes you really nervous to start reading that and see that. Not everyone is safe. Not everything is as it seems. And, you know, the artwork in this series is breathtaking. Um, the colors, the character designs are just so unique and fresh. I mean, like a humanoid orca whale character. It's one of my favorite character designs of the year. Not to mention how the gods are all designed. So just, it's brilliant. It really is brilliant. I, I, I suck at talking about things that I'm almost too passionate to talk about. And Sacrificers, it, I that book wowed the shit out of me. I read the first three issues before the first one even came out. And it, I couldn't pull myself away in between to even process one issue before the next. So uh, now that I'm caught up in reading as it's coming out, it, it's got my heart racing just talking about it. Nice. So, moving on to Best Writer, this was a fun one because so trying to work out how we like properly define this, do I go for like quantity? Like, I haven't read that much that I have a load of writers I've read a lot for, so trying to go for a mix of a few of the quantity and a few that are just books that really stood out. Like, at number 10, I had Cody Ziegler for his Miles Morales Spider Man book, and uh, I know that he's written some like Spider Punk, well, a Spider punk series has got another one coming which you've spoken a lot about which i'm very excited to read when i get to that and number nine joshua williamson for batman and robin superman and batman one bad day bane which i talked about a bit yesterday which was a really fun bane one shot focusing on him with her daughter and hi-fi which was take a, take a bit of a different turn to the, the rest of the one bad day one shots but i, I really enjoyed it Number eight, Lorenzo Di Felici for Chroma, because as we talked about, just a stunning four-issue miniseries, but so wonderfully paced and just, ugh, what, what, what a book. Number seven, Jeff Lemire for Fishflies and Cosmic Detective, one of those a sort of prestige series that's releasing in chunks every couple of months, which has just been so wonderful, written and drawn by him, and Cosmic Detective, an OGM, which we'll talk about a bit later co-written with Matt Kent and uh, by David Rubin, which to anyone I read this weekend, but that sort of pulpy, like, fantasy sci-fi, Jack Kirby, noir-inspired mixture. I was going to say mess, but that sounds derogatory. I mean, that's such a mixture of just talents and influences and such an awesome read. At six, I had Matthew Rosenberg for What's the Service Place from Here? 
because I talk about all my absolute favourite series. And I know he's written some other stuff more recently, like some of his DC work, but I'm, I'm need to get into that at some point because I haven't had a chance to yet because I've heard good things and especially cut off some of his indie work like that and Fog is walking to a bank also with Tyler. And number five, I had Wes Craig because I, I have just adored Kaya and it's interesting on this category too for these like writer-artists like Jeff Lemire and Lorenzo and now Wes Craig like I do like adore both those elements of the story coming together both their writing and their drawing but I feel like it's nice to like highlight one or the other here and be like but even though they are fantastic artists they also like independently are just phenomenal phenomenal storytellers in terms of how they're like plotting out and building out their stories and their worlds and bringing it to life not just through their art but also through how they're piecing this all together it's been such a treat to watch unfold and then before i had rick remender for mainly for the sacrifices but i also wanted to highlight that i managed to read the black science compendium so really sat a nice big 43 issue compendium this year with art by Matteo Scalera, which is just I, I knew that I would always enjoy that series because of the, the sci-fi influences and exploring and Scalera's artwork, but I just adored it. A wild roller coaster ride that I would definitely recommend, especially like either in the the hardcovers, trades, the compendium, whatever, just check it out. And also for the Tokyo Ghost Deluxe Edition, which was reprinted this year, which I was very excited to finally check out with art by Sean Murphy, which was such a awesome pairing, this sort of futuristic. I don't know if cyberpunk would be the right word, maybe in how it sort of escalates over the, the 10 issues and like, the places it goes. It's amazing how much of a wild ride that is. It's only 10 issues long, but it's pretty thrilling 10 issues. Number three, I had Dan's thought for Spider-Man, Spider-Boy, Spirit Spider-Man, that trio. Because like I said, how much just fun that I've been having with these titles. They've been such a joy. I don't always read the, have titles like the main Spider-Man titles. Especially not Amazing Spider-Man just because it's twice a month, so that can get expensive. But it's been really nice to read Spider-Man, which is a monthly title, and then Superior Spider-Man and Spider-Boy. And how these threads are continuing at a very still manageable once a month. But... I'm really excited to see where these go in 2024. And number two, I had Ryan North what a Fantastic Four because of how just fresh and unique and like experimental and adventurous all these ideas are. I know like for some people I see around that they're still moaning that it's like maybe not as action based sometimes, but it's like there's been almost like 60 years of more action based Fantastic Four stories that. In, in that time, you'll find something that you want to enjoy if you're not enjoying the current run. But sort of taking the Fantastic Four to these bold new stories and places, I'm definitely, yeah, very deserving of that spot. And I'm very excited to check out some of those other books. And at number one, I had Kelly Thompson, who I was lucky enough to have on the podcast twice this year. And I'm not just saying that because how how nice she was and on the podcast, but like just another one of those things where, like I said at the beginning, it's, it's like, you've got to think about the quantity and the quality. And this is one where Kelly had both, like Black Cloak, The Carl, Birds of Prey, It's Jeff with Gohiru, it's been such a, which was, I feel like, the couple of one shots. She's just so much like fun comics. These, again, these like fresh ideas, both on the indie side, Black Cloak and The Carl, with amazing collaborators, and on the, the big two side with it, it's Jeff at Marvel and Birds of Prey at DC. You're just, I feel like Kelly really stood out 
as a, a creator for me this year, even though I've sort of been aware of her works in the past. I think this was maybe the year where I started to really take notice of how many amazing stuff that she's got on the go. Well, there'll be some overlap again, but I think I'll be able to do this a lot quicker than uh, the rest of my stuff because I'm just not, I get repetitive and I don't want to be as repetitive. So uh, especially when it comes to talking about writing and art specifically, I'm not as well-versed in that as I am talking about a story or something. Um, So number 10, I put a lad that somehow didn't make the list because I was being very particular about my picks this year being ones that were really books that were from 2023 versus ones that I had maybe been reading already last year. Um, But Matthew Rosenberg with What's the Furthest Place from Here, it is one of my favorite books that I'm reading, just period. Um, It was going to be the next book I read until I uh, got a really ominous screenshot from Joe from Sacrificers. So uh, (laughs) I'm eager to read this issue. I heard really good things about where it goes, and it's just continued to blow me away. Uh, Rosenberg is a huge inspiration for me as well as uh, just – as a writer um so i had to make sure rosenberg made the cut on here and then number nine i went ahead and put joanne star like i said i talked a little bit about the gimmick but mostly uh they're on here for sirens of the city i just it's an important book and it's being handled so well that i'd be a fool to not include it on here um when I read that first issue, I knew that I was going to have it on this list as one of the most important books of the year. Um, and sure enough, uh, that's in large part to Joanne. Then number eight, I've got Simon Kudransky. Uh, Can't talk yeah, today. So. Um, with something epic. And then I did have a chance to read Blood Commandment 1 and 2 uh, before recording yesterday. But mostly for something epic because that's what I was like, I rush read blood commandment kind of to make sure I had read it. Um, and while admittedly it's not as much my speed story wise, um, the writing is just as great. Um, I already told you why I love something epic. So it's no surprise that everything about what I love is owed to the one guy behind it. Um, and by next year, I hope to be able to pronounce his name better. Uh, number seven, I know it, it's my indie book of the year, but I, I did keep Rick Remender down at seven just because this was a quality over quantity pick. It was the only thing I read yeah, by him. One of those things, you know, um, I wanted to make sure to do the same thing you did where it's like, to an extent, most of these are well-versed, kind of moved around, but um, I, you know, people move where they move. Uh, number six is Xavier Dorison writer of Animal Castle. I wish that I was able to follow the production of this book better. Um, It's kind of a mystery. I don't know if it's been published in another language already somewhere else, and is it like at a different part in the story, and it's just waiting to be translated. I don't know if it's getting translated as it's written. I just, I I wish I could follow the process more for this book, because the, the messages and the story and the way the story is told is so, so important. Um, that it, it, it really does uh, blow me away every time I get a new issue of it. Number five, my favorite comic writer of all time. Only number five on the list, but that is because it's been an off year in terms of what I've had access to continue reading. And so he, uh, I've not been able to catch up on Fish Flies, but I loved it dearly, the two issues that I have read. Um, Phantom Road has been fantastic. Um, 
the big one that got him on this list personally for me was Cosmic Detective, which I have Matt Kent on here at 11 just in case we had too much time on our hands. So I will lump him in with five with Lemire just for the sake of this mostly being a Cosmic Detective nomination. Um, that book was incredible. It was a fucking trip, um, but it was everything I hoped it would be and more. So it had him land its way here. Um, and sadly, Bone Orchard Mythos Tenement, um, I had to stop reading because of money. And it breaks my heart because I feel like I'm one of the few people who never had a problem with how unexplained a lot of things in the Bone Orchard mythos has been so far. And everyone seems to be loving Tenement more than anything else so far. And so I figure I'd probably love it more than anything else so far, too, because I've already loved everything. But who knows? Uh, Number four, uh, Kyle Starks knows probably more than any other comic writer how to make me laugh. Um, I have never read a Kyle Starks book that didn't bust my gut. Um, I'm so bummed that I couldn't keep reading Peacemaker Tries Hard because it is hands down. It should have been on my best of the DC pick this year, but since I didn't get to keep reading it, I didn't feel super fair putting that over books that I did choose to keep on my list. Uh, But that book is like genuinely a gut buster. Um, Where Monsters Lie, another one of these uh, books that is just like, genuinely one of the funniest books i've read this year and then fuck this place uh i know some people call it i hate this place i bought all the explicit covers and i had first seen it solicited as fuck this place so in my defense that's what it's called uh second volume was fantastic wrap up to the series i thought um it went a great route to close the door on the final chapter and i really really appreciate this ability to balance comedy and horror that Kyle Stark seems to really be a pro at. Um, number three, I have Tate Bromble for Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos, Behold Behemoth, and House of Slaughter. Uh, I was stoked as ever for him to return to House of Slaughter. I thought his return to Jace was very, very fun. Um, and then I've already talked enough about Christopher Chaos for a lifetime, but Tate is also just like such a, a wonderful human to listen to talk about his art um listening to him on that podcast with uh byron was was really special um especially in terms of what the representation means to the creator as well as the people reading like me so uh number two i got g willow wilson and this is quality over quantity because uh wilson only had poison ivy and the one bad day shot that i read this year i did not get a chance to dive deeper into hunger in the dusk as much as i did enjoy the first issue so those two books there alone uh one will wilson this spot up here um catwoman had my favorite one bad day story as a, a broke lad it means a lot to have that kind of representation in media where it's like hey this person really does actually care about the people who need help in her community versus the rich scumbags um bruce wayne included so um and then with ivy ivy i think is um probably the most important book coming out from dc because it has the most to say about the world outside of comics um and i think that's important so uh when i look at books that are from the big two making it onto this list of favorite writers um i think that Wilson is the only one that was predominantly for a big two writing versus everyone else was indie writers. Um, but 
that brings me to number one, which I love so dearly, and it's so fitting considering that we had her on twice this year. Um, Kelly Thompson won me over uh, heart, mind, and soul. She is such an inspirational creator to talk to. She's hilarious, both in writing and in interview. Um, But she's also got these beautiful ideas that she puts to page. And be it Black Cloak, The Coal, this Birds of Prey run, or even just her one short story in Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Redder, um, there's nothing about Kelly Thompson that I don't love and admire. And um, it, it only adds to it that she's been so approachable and, you know, forward with like joining us on this podcast and really willing to talk to people on the other side of her comics um, and really care. Um, one of the things I, I have to mention about Kelly in here is, uh, I gave her some sensitivity reading with both Black Cloak and the Coal that I got really positive responses from, and I just for her to handle in two books this year, uh, one of the most sensitive topics for me to see in media, and for neither of those instances to be an adverse trigger when otherwise they would be, um, that goes to show how caring of a writer Kelly Thompson is. So with the, how many did you have for Best Interior Artist again? 20. Yeah, so <laughs> this is one where the, uh, there's not going to be much uh, like description or explanation. It's literally going to be listing them off. And I know I've said that before, but I mean it this time. So starting at 22, because this just went wildly off the rails in, in the best way. Right? Jamal Campbell for Superman, gorgeous work. Isaac Goodhart at number 21 for not to be history in life of Christopher Chaos as much as we struggle to define it. Is it animated? Is it grounded? It's a nice, wacky mix of both. Meadows McLaren is at 20 for Black Cloak because it was really satisfying how Horacle so sort of clean and crisp that it felt. Some, some thought it didn't quite fit the fantasy vibe of Black Cloak, but I, I can disagree more. It felt more so ethereal and just nice to to read through but also convey that gravitas of where the dramaticness of that series went simon kudransky for something epic i mean just incredible artwork like nothing i've seen this year david rubin at number 18 for cosmic detective because i loved how vibrant those colors were earlier on in the graphic novel but then where that's where that book goes like in the last like third act it's just spectacular I've been credo at 17 for Fantastic Four because I just absolutely adore his work. It's so fluid and dynamic, and especially with such like great colours on it. Like, he's just, it's just, like, the way he draws, like, Human Torch, like, and, like, the symbiotes, and when, like, mostly in fact, like, obviously he's done, but also, like, Reed and everything is just such a delight. 16, Dan Mora, I mean, what more can be said about Dan Moore? It's just perfect for, like, say, Ward's finest, especially with one villain on colouring. It's gorgeous work. 15, Federico Sabatini for... Well, Federico Sabatini and Alexandra Capuccio are 14 and 15 for their work on Midnight and, like, the issues that Federico did, like, for the end for Alessandro. But I honestly didn't personally notice between them when it's so, like... Again, it's, it's spectacular and how dynamic it is and cinematic carrying that action so effectively making it such a treat you just want to keep like flicking those pages or swiping pages 13 lorenzo di felici for chroma because like 
oh my god, like, have we not already said enough about how gorgeous the arc work in that series was? Similarly for, like, number 12, West Prey, because of how rich and exciting his work was on Kaya. Evan Dustin wins for his work on Little Monsters at the start of the year. Like I said yesterday, it was interesting because it was a more black and white, very, like, sharp, penciled style, different for his, like, more watercolour work sometimes, but it worked so nicely and hauntingly for the series. And number 10, Tyler Boss, the the panelling is something that I always really enjoy about his work, which it's always really fun when I can mention that, how it's, like, conveyed from panel to panel, the action, and it, again, it has that such an indie aesthetic and feel, which I just love. Nine, Sean Murphy, the detail in his artwork, like, if you haven't noticed, there's just so much detail in it. It's not like it's so satisfying to spend ages, like, soaking in pages. And, oh, eight, Jorge Jimenez. I mean, oh, my, it's just, it's been such a treat to see him on Batman so much over the past few years, first with Tiny and, and now with Chip Zdarsky. And going back and reading some of those previous work on, like, Super Sons and, oh, and oh, Scott Snyder's Justice League. He dismisses for it's a bit like Dan Mora. It's one of those like prettiest art styles in comics. It's phenomenal how cinematic it looks, and feel like you don't always necessarily want like comic art that looks the best because like art of all varying styles is exciting. But like if you want a comic that looks just breathtaking in the most like cinematic, like big two comics big action kind of way, then that's the artist for you. Leonardo Romero is at number seven for his work on Birds of Prey because just conveying and channeling that silver age of wholesome, innocent party style, similar to, I guess, artists like maybe Doc Shainer, for example, and oh, it's, uh, yeah, it is gorgeous. I, I adore it. Six of Dennis Men here for the one-shot Etheris, which was that, that painted style, just, again, breathtaking. The colours there. But five, Jeff Lemire. I mean, it's like, what else can you say about like Jeff Lemire's artwork? I mean, I mentioned his writing on Unofficialized, but the artwork is always so emotional, whether that's the, the watercolor backgrounds and you can see the brush strokes and the like, the minimal details in the like the scratchy roughness of his characters. It's all such a treat every time you see his artwork. Number four, I have Fiona Staples for Saga, who just been consistently drawing such fantastic work on that series for over 16 issues now, conveying the fantasy vibe so well. But it also feels very grounded. It doesn't feel like fantastically fantasy. Like, it conveys those out-of-this-world elements nicely, but it still feels very, very emotionally grounded, which means the heartbreak from writer Brian K. Barton in that series is always more painful. Number three, I had Francis Menopole, one of my favourite ever creators. In general, I adore his artwork, and on Claire, it was such a treat. So excited to see what he's got cooking up next in 2024. Number two, I had Luana Vicio, who we talked about falling in love with her work on Madero, and then sort of going to see it on Lovesick, no matter how gross that series was and disturbing it was. The, I can't deny it, the artwork was just so gorgeous and I think one of the up-and-coming underrated artists makes it nice to see her getting work on like the Rogue Sun covers for Image and a couple of issues of Poison Ivy and the Harley Quinn story with the writer of Rogue Sun so yeah and number one Casper Wingard for All Against All because the 
the art on Homesick Pilots was incredible, but the layers that are added to it in all against the wall, like the colouring, the texture, it's you, you want like good art to be memorable and oh my like fucking god, that, that artwork in all against all it is memorable if it's anything. So yeah, passing it back on to you. Very, very lovely list. Mine is going to be just about as long, but I hope to go super fast because, one, I don't like saying a lot of these names. They're hard for me. And, two, uh, I just suck at talking about what I like about art. Uh, Steve Scrooge oh, from Clobberin' Time. That art style is one of my favorite styles of art. It's this, like, rough-edged art, and that's the best word I have for it, and I don't think it's a good word for it. Um, number 19, I've got Leanna Kangas for Know Your Station. Beautiful, beautiful artwork. Um, number 18, I got Jamie McKelvey for Batman One Bad Day Catwoman. I stand by. I think that that is hands down the best Catwoman has ever looked. Um, use a half tone in that issue makes me drool. Um, for number 17, I have Giorgio Spalletta, um, which I'm going to combine with um, Dan Pinocian because it's for the same book. And they each have a part in why it's so beautiful. Um, but Giorgio Spalletta specifically handles the Wonderland portion of Alice Never After, while Dan handles the London scenes. Uh, it was flipped in the previous uh, volume, and it's been a joy to see the roles reversed. Um, it, it's a lovely style, and the character designs for all these Wonderland characters that, you know, most if you know the Wonderland stories, you know these characters. They're, it's fun to see. Um, the one we struggle to describe, Isaac Goodhart. It's just, if I could call it anything, I'd call it charming. Um, mm, that's number definitely. 16. Uh, Leo Romero uh, for number 15. Birds of Prey is so stunning. It is so damn stunning. And um, as much as I love the art on Fantastic Four, after seeing his variant for Fantastic Four, I want oh. nothing more than Leo Romero on a Fantastic Four interior. <laughs> That would be amazing. That would be the, the treat that only Marvel can give us. Um, number 14, we've got Carrie Randolph. I've told you all how much I love Sirens of the City for the artwork. Um, I'm not big on black and white, but I'm huge on color splash. I think that whenever you have the absence of color completely, it can be a little dry on the eyes. But whenever you have these bright, poppy colors splashed amongst the the white it it takes my breath away um number 13 dennis manheri uh Aetherius is one of the most beautiful books i've ever read and i i feel bad not talking about it more than that but that's all there is to it um number 12 one of my only like actual like favorite writers of all time and not, not writers only one of my favorite artists of all time that's on this list i i left out like four of them because i was like eh, they didn't have as much stuff going on this year so i, I did uh snub quite a few of my favorites but zoe thorogood with hack and slash back to school um it's everything i loved about the art of also and creep show volume three as well as uh interiors on harley quinn black and white and redder and um yes so tons of stuff from zoe thorogood um coming out i i love that i'm able to jump into a series that is as far into it as is hack and slash is even though I don't care about anything I've heard about from the original runs, I love what Zoe's doing in that run, and the art styles are just so fun. And <laughs> I, I want to say random at times, because really, I mean, you're looking at a pixelated frog boy if you've looked at my Instagram <laughs> lately. Um, number 11 is one I haven't talked about on here, I don't think, but Richard Blake with Hexagon Bridge. 
Um, I need to catch up on this series. I knew nothing about it. I read it completely blind. And while I struggle to really tell you entirely what the book is about, it is one of the best drawn books of the year, without a doubt. Um, Like, feels like it's pulling inspiration from Mobius kind of levels of, holy shit, are you kidding me? Um, Another one of those one-man bands that really, really rocked my world this year. Um, Raphael Grandpa at number 10 for Batman Gargoyle of Gotham. It felt impossible that my favorite Batman image of all time could come out this year without me giving recognition to the artist for it. Uh, I think that's all I need to say there. Uh, Trad Moore for Doctor Strange Fall Sunrise. I don't know how someone can even imagine the stuff that Trad Moore puts on page, but if anyone has a contact for his like plug i would love to try some of what he's having because this book is a trip and a half and yeah i i highly highly recommend it for art alone even if you hate everything else about it i think that you can't look at that book and not love it um number eight savan subic riddle year one is one of the most uniquely drawn books of the year um last two years rather like i said there's an entire issue that's mostly lettering more than anything else but the art that comes up that's like sketchbook drawings occasionally from in character drawings into the haunting things behind uh, shadows and uh, things that you're not sure are actually there it it's some of the most haunting uh, images in comics came from uh, rather year one and uh, Stevan's work uh, number seven Casper Wingard made it on the list that's another favorite here from homesick pilots but all against all was just like Joe said it brought a new dynamic to his work that I think upped it in a way that Homesick Pilots didn't need it to be upped because that was a far more grounded in reality story as much as fighting ghost houses can be. Um, But I I love everything about Casper's work. Um, Number six, Meredith McLaren won me over heart and soul with the character designs and the world of Black Cloak. Um, I need to read more of her work because um, it, it... it really took me by storm after reading those issues and talking during that interview. Um, so I'm, she's one that I'm very eager to see her name pop up on something else soon because I, I want more of that style and I'm, I'm eager as hell for the return of Black Cloak. Number five, Felix Delep from Animal Castle. Uh, I talk a lot about how important that book is, but I don't tell the world all the time just how beautiful it is. It's this just stunning storybook, like Disney-esque animals. It's so beautiful. I, I, I don't have anything but beauty to describe that, that book, truly. Um, number four is Christian Ward, another favorite that did make it on the list because Batman City of Madness is madness is how I would describe this dude's art. I don't know how it's possible to work with color the way this dude does, and I know that we're talking about the art style right now, but... But still, everything about Christian Ward's yeah. style speaks to me on tremendous levels. Um, number three, I got Simon Kudransky, who uh, blew me away this year, like a, like a bunch of folks did. But this one especially, um, kind of like what you talked about with Sean Murphy, who somehow didn't make the list despite him being my favorite artist of all time. Um, it, the dynamic nature of this book compared to like plot holes where you're changing scene scenery settings character designs it's so dynamic that it really does feel like you're living amongst your own imagination 
um, and then Blood Commandment. While the story is not as geared to my taste, it is still a beautiful book. Um, it lacks the color that uh, something epic brings, but the tones are all there, and um, the detail in that book is spectacular. Some very, very grisly images in those first two issues. Um, number two is Dave Rubin with Cosmic Detective. I didn't talk about this book much because I didn't get to talk about graphic novels when I was putting my list together for best of the year stuff. Initially, I thought I'd put those in a separate thing for some reason, but Cosmic Detective was my biggest FOMO book of last year. I was ashamed that I didn't know about Jeff Lemire early enough to have backed that book so that I could have had the beautiful hardcover everyone mm -hmm. was flashing last year, but I finally got to read it this year, and Dave Rubin's art, I think you called it atmospheric, and that's what I want to say here with it. Is it 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 felt like you were walking those uh, rain-covered streets right alongside this detective, and um, the the trippy visuals that that spawn out of that book were were just stellar. Um, and number one is Mattia De Luis with the coal because I can die and never understand how this dude can possibly make art this beautiful. Um, it's, it's unreal is the word that I have for Matias' work. Um, and so that one to me, as much as some of the other styles speak to me more, like Dave Rubin's style and Steve Scrooge's are kind of on par with that rough edge style that I really, really like. Same with kind of like Sean Murphy in the kind of sketch hand. But something about how fucking clean the coal is, is just, it takes me away every time. And it, and it puts me right into this book, into this other world that they're exploring at the moment. And so definitely uh, interesting to look at this list and recognize that only one person on my list of interior artists had more than one book on my list. So that was kind of fun. I didn't notice that until just now as we're looking through it. But that's a wrap on my interior artist, one of the hardest lists I've ever had to make. Yeah, that was so many to take into account. And speaking of so many, I was pleasantly surprised how many colorists that I ended up because I've I'm I'm pleased with and not not to pat myself on the back back and sound all like uh, to my own horn, but like I, I'm pleased with how I tried to become more aware of like colorists and coloring over the past like couple of years and so like seeing all these like awesome people that I could point to and be like here I love their work was quite satisfying because at number 10 I had Mikhail Muto for uh, like dozens of issues of some of his kind of children and bring the ones that I've read this year plus now the other pedestrian life of Christopher Chaos because they're sort of bringing that both series that grounded yeah fantastical colouring to it all is it is so nice. Uh, number nine, Brian Valenza for Mars Morales, Spider Man because it's so clean and like electric and dynamic and just really setting that action and like the the how slick it is. For eight, uh, he's just Albertov, who I've loved on uh, even Credo's work mostly is where I've seen them, but this year it's so on on their Fantastic Four issues because again like. Eben's artwork is sort of fluid enough, like as it is, it's so dynamic. But then Abatov just really brings it to life in terms of the rich oranges of, say, like the Human Torch, or it's, oh, yeah, I, I adore it. And number seven, that's Alejandro Sanchez on Shazam and Superman. I've been, 
a fan of their work for a while. So seeing that such warm colouring on Shazam has been such a nice contrast to Terrible Villains colouring on Mark Wade's not Mark Wade's, um, Dan Mora's artwork, which I'll mention in a moment, but, and also did a couple of issues of Superman when there are other artists on there, so that, I thought I'd add those in. And number six, I had Matt Lopez for this year on Void Rivals, but I can't resist just a quick plug for Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, which is, is color, the colouring on that was just phenomenal. But it was on Void Rivals as well, the issues that I was able to read how beautifully parents some of those space scenes were where it was like the blacks and the stars in the sky and like the texture of the planet surface it was also like sensory to like actually read and it didn't feel just like a, bl- a blank black sky it actually felt so like grounded in, in the sense that I could like I could feel like that setting and they had Dave McKay for the sacrifices which by the way I, I mentioned a lot of this comic con I went to yesterday I'm sorry I mean the, the comic con I went to in November but I mentioned it a lot recording the best of comics coming through the episode yesterday and Dave McKay was um, one of the awesome people I got to meet and he was just <clears throat> sorry about that he was just such a nice guy as well like coloring things while he was there to on the corn floor to get um not get behind on his work but his colouring on the sacrifices is just gorgeous and awesome that managing to convey again like the gravitas and the emotion of the scenes and so well like the texture of it's one of the most heartbreaking aspects of the comic is how well it's all sold along with the, the writing and the artwork and all of that. Next I had Tamerborn Villain for like DC, she did some work on some of the DC Prize stories from this year, and also World's Finest, Ben Superman. I've loved her colouring on Laura's artwork ever since I first discovered Once in Future, which was written by Guru Gillen, by the way. So to see like that had them continuing for almost a couple of dozen issues now with World's Finest, it's so vibrant and so bright and, and hopeful and conveys that Again, that like innocent, like optimistic sort of rage vibe so nicely. And number three, I have Michelle Rosenberg from Moonlight. Like I mentioned earlier, I really love how in that series, like Moonlight really glows white. It's so like actually bright to look at. And it's it's a very bright series in terms of the, the colours. There's no sort of like flat colours or nothing. It's very static. It's all so energetic and cinematic and atmospheric that it's one of the most gorgeous like superhero books on, on the shelves I would say and, and number two I have Jason Worthy for this currently on Kaya because again when I keep mentioning the that the rich vibrant colouring we're talking about Chris Craig's work on the series it's such a large reason why because it's just such a treat to conveying that like fantastical feel and making it feel very like cartoonish in like, the best ways animated and then Geordie Belair, number one for Birds of Prey and Waltree, two drastically, drastically different series. Waltree, a very much grounded book that's very disturbing and setting like the horror of that mystery and the offense of it and Birds of Prey. You have a very incredibly special and unique retro style, just sells and meshes with Romero's artwork so well. And oh, yeah, again, such, such a well deserving. Last place on my list. I'm gonna treat to see her work. Very well. That uh, I 
don't remember how many you had, but I think I have less. And I will also preface this with I owe this entire section of acknowledgments to Joe because it wasn't until right around this time last year, maybe a little bit before we started recording the best of actually, that I started taking extra mind of the colorists that I was um, seeing. And thankfully, I have nine people on this list that I think do some magical magical things with color um and so we're gonna we're gonna dip right in uh we have number nine jacob phillips um i don't think any of that texas blood came out this year and while i didn't get to continue reading all of enfield gang massacre i love that world i love his tones and palette on that series and especially with enfield gang where it's got this it's printed on this newsprint so it's it's just nice it's just nice um, as well as I just got to read Where the Body Was by Ed Brubaker and him. Um, I, I think that there's nothing more endearing in comics than Jacob Phillips coloring his dad's artwork. Um, and Where the Body Was is uh, definitely needs acknowledgement for this year's releases here at the end of the year. Um, I'm so glad I got to read that before the end of the year uh, and before this recording because of just how, how special I thought the colors of that book were. Um, it really captures this 1984 vibe. Um, number eight, we got Mikel Muerto for Ali Pedestrian Life, Chris for Chaos. I just think that the colors of that book are perfect, and the lack thereof is also perfect. Um, mm-hmm. Number seven, um, I should have probably moved this one up higher because I realized that um, the same colors for Knights as well as Alice Never After, but Francesco Sagala is brilliant in both of those series knights um and alice never after are two very different books but holy shit if they also don't flex two different color palettes at different times um number six is christian ward i already kind of spoiled my chatter with him so i won't go much further um i just love the colors he uses he's got this like galaxy brain of a palette and it's it's beautiful um Number five, I got Dave McCaig, which I spelled wrong um, for Sacrificers. Uh, that book, especially Pigeon. Pigeon was like the selling point of that book. The colors of Pigeon alone have me so in love with this book. The colors of the gods, the colors of the world, the the, the you know terrace that they're finding themselves upon. It, it's just, it's such a beautiful book. Um Number four, it feels kind of hilarious to give this to somebody whose book is mostly black and white. But like I said, color splash is effective, especially when it's done well. (coughs) Pardon me. And Carrie Randolph absolutely kills it in Sirens of the City. Um, Number three, Dave Rubin, the colors on Cosmic Detective, um, as well as, I believe, on um, Operation Sunshine. Because I know he did that as well. I just I only read the first issue of that, and it just came out recently. So I forgot to mention that earlier. But that was a great read um, from Dark Horse that Dave also worked on. Um, he's he's become a favorite. I was sold on him when I saw whichever came first, either his Wind variant or his Little Monsters variant. I think it was Wind first. But I was like, oh, dude, I want Wind to always look like this now. No offense to Michael at all. I just like I genuinely just love the way Ruben drew him in that form. Um, Interesting. Number two is gonna be Jordi Belair um, for Birds of Prey and World Tree. I forgot about World Tree on this list 
too whenever I was going through it. So I felt bad kind of snubbing that because especially how important I do feel that the that book is considering what it is. Um, but Birds of Prey especially, you've already said it. I don't need to say it anymore. That book's colors pop in every way possible. And in an effort to uh, correct this past year's Eisner Awards, my <laughs> choice for best colorist goes to the one and only Heather Moore. Anybody who's been following me this past year knows how annoyed I was that that didn't happen. Fall Sunrise is the best colored book I've ever seen. Um, the only other book I would compare it to is uh, uh, Bloodstained Teeth from this past year, which technically did end this year, so Patrick Reynolds could have technically been on the list. Um, but all the same, Heather Moore's work, I you know I can't fathom coloring in between the lines on a Trad Moore piece because of just how intentional every line is. So to be able to intentionally put as much thought and care into color of that book, it's one of the biggest complaints about the ads being in there is that that book should be open to two pages staring at you with bright color, even if you can't tell what each visual is until you stop and stare at it. You should be constantly surrounded by Heather Moore's cover when you're reading Fall Sunrise. So that's the longest I'll talk about a colorist, but uh, Heather Moore rocks. Yeah, I'm so excited to pick up that massive treasure edition for Fall Sunrise if I can hopefully still get it. I can't remember when it came out, but sometime this year. I just need to find a shelf that'll fit a book that big before I... I know, do. no kidding. I, I have an open top shelf that it could sit on the very top of, or I could sit it sideways on stuff, but... Uh, I want to own it outside of single issues because I don't really care to reread it right now when it looks the way it looks because those ads are so – never have ads piss me off more in a book than in Fall Sunrise. It was, it was funny with Demon Days, the Preach Momoko Marvel book, was just sort of like its own thing. Yeah. When the treasure edition for that came out, I was like, oh, you know, I mean, I really want it, but I'll, I'll pick it up eventually. And then that week I went to my comic store and I saw it there. They had a copy. I was like, okay, that is, that is breathtaking. And I, I, I bought it there and then I took it home. Um, and I do not regret it at all. I don't doubt it. I, uh, somebody pre-ordered that when it came out at the shop I was working. So I got to see it and flip through it. We also had a cool treasury edition uh, we found for some of the X-Men grand design. And like those books, I want treasury editions so bad because I just want a comic that is just massive. I just want to see the pages of that. I don't know that there's a, a more appealing uh, treasury edition than that Fall Sunrise one. So I'm really, really eager to that. But I've also been dying to read the Momoko ones. I just, like I said, I don't want to buy a book I can't shelf anywhere because then it's going to get yeah. torn to crap. It's a pretty thin, delicate book as big as it is. Yeah, and so moving on to Best Letter, I know this is one that also I've been trying to try and be more aware of uh, for both of us. So I'm glad to at least got five picks there. Some of the ones that really most stood out to me. She has some incredible work, starting with Steve Wand at number five. It was fun because I saw, I, I first noticed his work like way too recently on Jeff Lemire's books, like when I caught up on May's book from last year and currently like Fish Flies and the End of Little Monsters. And then I was like, oh, it's, it's, the, it's that same person that's doing like some DC books like Batman and Robin and World's Finest. I was like, that's really cool. And so to see him sort of getting all of those books, like the more delicate and just stuff of the mirror to the more like mainstream accepted stuff of DC is really cool to see. Number four, John J. Hill from Carry Your Darlings and the Shalab, the Kids Love Chains. 
Press books. I've really liked his like lettering and design work on those series. Like those issues are really nice in terms of like nice thick like cardstock covers and paper, etc. And the it feels like the design of those is sort of fitting to that. And the, the lettering that like, carries that like same energy and vibrancy that the artwork tends to carry in like the final page of uh, the most recent issue of Kill Your Darlings. Uh, I just, uh, I love when they sort of play around with like the colour of fonts and, and things. So he was like deserving of a spot on this list. And number three, uh, a ditch bit of car for Waltry, or the Oddly Pedestrian Life of Crystal Chaos and some DC Pride stories. He was one of the first letterers that I first noticed thanks to pop culture philosophers on YouTube Robbie's weekly corporate review, sort of pointing out how like, oh, Bidikar is one of the best letters in the business. And I can like definitely see that because just the way, like, especially on World Treat, the lettering on that is awesome in sort of how it sort of like meshes with the art and how the art is like because it's sort of like computery networky that becomes like again changing like fonts and styles and like squiggly balloons and oh, it's so good. Number two, I'd make Kerry for Black Cloak, some Radiant Black and Supermassive. She's done such a, a great job on Radiant Black. So it was really nice to see her working with Kelly and Meredith for Black Cloak. Again, it's like on Black Cloak with all the different like location identifiers. It was really cool to see. And yeah, no, and number one, I'd Hassan Lot's main, how. All against all, what's the furthest place from here? The Carl, the unlikely story of Felix and Macabre, and seemingly like a million other titles. He is someone that it feels like you turn every corner when reading comic book and Hassan has left it. It was on on his table at Thought Bubble, he had like a bunch of books, and it was a note where it was like, I left all of these books, yes, all of them. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's fair, that's fitting. Because um, I, I really like what he said about lettering. And like his approach to it as a craft, because he said that he wants to make it sure that he's not going to be like replaceable, because lettering can be very replaceable, and which is why they can be underappreciated. So to have him sort of take that and make something that's so always unique to him and full of just as much style as like the art sometimes, playing around with not just doing like straight balloons, doing like different like squiggles for each one they've got all slightly different tails and we're all like playing around with the fonts and the sizes of the text and the color and he did a i, I can't remember if above snakes was this year or last year but yeah i've just looked it up last, it was last year but he he had one of the covers for that series which i started to read and it was like an all lettering cover yeah and i'm like looking at it now because i just looked it up and it's one of the best covers so cool exist. It's, it's incredible, and I encourage you to, like, take notice of letterers just in general and one of these, like, awesome people. But, like, if there's one letterer that you take away from this list, it's, like, to be aware of, like, Hassan's work because... And he's so nice as well, like, when I met him. um Yeah, it, I, again, like, I felt like, at least for this year, even though there's some, like, fantastic lettering that I managed to notice, like, Hassan, like... It's clearly working so hard to be like such an incredible presence in the industry and not just sort of getting lost in the in, in the crowd as again lettering can sometimes be. And I know you, I know you had uh, a few you wanted to highlight, including Hassan. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Hassan is definitely on the list for numerous books. One of which I just reminded myself it was him for sure. Um, but I'm gonna start with number six. Um, 
super recent, only one book, but Michael Dialnis' uh, work on Zawa is oh, yes, of course. such fun and enthusiastic lettering oh, that I encourage everyone to pick it up and really, really take that in because it, it, if it wasn't that, it, it was a hard thing to put him at the like bottom of my list of six, but I, I'm one of those folks that's only really just now trying to tackle the letters, the letterer game. And even then it's hard because we talk about the list above where it was one book per person, except for the exception of a couple or so. Here, some of these folks, I'm sure, are doing more books than I can even fathom that I know for a fact I read. I just can't remember that it's them because these are probably one of the last names for anyone to remember when reading a book. Um, number five, I got Aditya Bidikar for uh, Christopher Chaos and their story in uh, Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Redder. Um, I don't have a lot to say about that. I just I appreciate their work, you know letters or letters mm -hmm. so i don't have any great depth for them um i'm gonna just further what you said on becca carey for number four at black cloak um especially those timestamps. but i really like the it, it feels weird to say font but i guess it's her font i don't know i just love yeah. i really loved her work on that too um number three is dave rubin um if it was quality over quantity purely i would have put him in number two but i I, I adored everything about Cosmic Detective's lettering. It is uh, easily one of the most memorable books when it comes to the letters. Um, but number two is where I actually have Hassan. Among other things, All Against All, Chicken Devils is another one that I really want to take note of. Um, Hassan is just as excellent as Joe said. Definitely one of the first names I started to recognize in lettering. Um there is a single comic issue this year that takes number one for best letterer, and it is Riddler Year One number five. Oh, yeah. That is the issue I've been talking about. I can't stress enough how taxing, how exhausting, and how anxiety-inducing it was to read that issue that is hard to call it prose. It's like stream of consciousness from the Riddler planning out his big scheme, the entire plan, and getting it all out on paper and organized, saying this is what's going on, talking to himself, giving himself affirmations, this scratchy handwriting that changes uh, expression. It is the most emotional lettering I have ever seen. It felt like I was reading something I wasn't even supposed to be reading because of how personal it felt to be reading this handwriting on every corner of every page it is one of the most frightening issues to take on as a reader in that there is no grace given to you by here's a page of art to take in you are reading and like i said that stream of consciousness it carries through in the lettering it is maddening um but that goes to Stevan subic subic I, I i can't speak highly enough of the lettering in that issue it is profound the lengths at which these creators immerse themselves in this Riddler year one story. Um, so for me, that one was uh, the one that I was like, you know what, if I am going to give quality, quality over quantity, it's got to go to Stevan in this instance because of that issue alone. Uh, so I'm very excited to read that, especially now it's all connected. The hardcover's pretty. I got to see it the other day. Ooh. And I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned 
Michael as well, even if it was only at like the tail end, because I just completely forgot to mention him on the desk, even amongst all our amazing Star Wars conversations. Because he'd have been hired if it wasn't just the one issue that I had read. Yeah, because what we talked about with lettering in that interview alone, just the colors of the flavors, like I've never read a word that I could taste um, until Zawa, and I think that that is literal magic, um, inducing synesthesia in somebody, especially in a reader through letters um so you know number six in theory but there's only one issue to judge well moving on this next category isn't best suited for an audio platform but you can like if you're able to like pick up these covers online and i know on the i i'm i'm on the legal comic geeks at least at jonas comics and you can see my list of these top covers on my profile but at Number 15, I had It's Jeff, number one, just because, like, seeing all the, these, like, Marvel heroes here, like, uh, behind Jeff, like, beautifully illustrated by Giro Hero, uh, cartoonish art style is just always such a joy to see. Uh, something epic, number six, the cover B, the homage to It. I only picked up a couple of these movie homage variants, but... I, I sort of picked them up for like movies that were like, significant and really cool to see drunk ski tackle and like this yeah that it cover is just stellar. Number thirteen was the Scotty Young variant for Avengers, the Avengers number one, the the recent one from May because I don't often pick up variants and often when I do uh, unless like with something epic I only got them that cover B but like I often with here I picked up like the main cover and the Scotty Young cover because it was just I mean, it, it looks great. It, it looks sort of like the cartoony style was like satisfying, and like the dialogue as always. Sometimes it's like can be a bit stale, but like here, I thought it was it was so funny. Next at number twelve, I had Harley Quinn Black, White, and Redder issue two. This one I picked up at Port Bubble because I wrote down with Ted Brandt, amazing creators had the story in it, and it was one of those things when I when I was starting to pick up this issue from their store, I was like, I mean, it had like incredible. Crazy team lineup on that issue alone, and a cover by Chris Samney, which was just awesome. The like the how it's done with like negative like, space of like Batman in the background and like Harley Quinn in the foreground, and it just looks so clean and animated and so cool. And number eleven, I had the one in ten ratio Frizen variant, Jenny Frizen for World Tree issue one. Because Jenny Frizen is just an incredible artist. Mostly first introduced to her work on the the, the cover B for something as kind of children issue one. So it was cool to like, pick this up when it came out. Another one where I got it in addition to the main cover, but it's just terrifyingly gorgeous of this like character, this like killer that, yeah, it's it, it's a whole thing, but uh, another stunning cover. Fantastic Four number 13 was my 10. This is the now famous Alex Ross Doom on a Dinosaur Doom cover that's understandably and rightfully people talking about months beforehand and I hope it convinced some people to jump on the series start reading it as well but just a a phenomenal phenomenal cover by Alex Ross at number nine I had the main cover again for Amazing Spider-Man 29 because I thought this one was like particularly cool Ed McGuinness's covers for this arc I picked up were all great with Doc Ock but I thought this one was particularly stand up for how surprisingly Bristol what it was with like Spider-Man all like it's like costumes tearing and he's amongst these like black black and white sort of web and this was like a very 
striking cover that I I really enjoyed and it deserves a spot on this list. And number eight, I have the main cover for Kaya, issue 10, with Craig and Jason Redding, because it's like one, this series has had like great covers, gorgeous covers, but this felt like a bit of a standout in hell. It's like the character Jin is sort of in the the white amidst such like orange and yellow of the cover and like the reflection in the water and it just feels like I mean I, I love the colour orange that helps but just again when I'm thinking about the best covers it's one of those that are so like striking and this was definitely one of them with how vibrant it was. At number seven, another cool something epic home movie homage by Kodransky and the Swansea Back to the Future. It's just a, an awesome like tribute to that to that cover like, working into the story and making it feel like appropriate and that was really cool to see and pick up. Number six, Little Monsters 13 by Justin Wynn. Just a, again, like, the covers to this series were great, but a breathtaking final cover and a nice homage to a series that I've yet to read in the centre. So like the the stunning like reds, it's like what you're saying about the, the colour splashes, which is always nice about this series with like the black and white with the red colour splashes and it just, a bit, a bit like I mentioned with like the mayor's own watercoloured uh, artwork, this like painted style is just definitely breathtaking. Number five, I had the main cover for Batman 139 by Jorge Jimenez and Tamal Murray. And this is one where when this arc was announced like several months ago now, I was blown away by this cover. I mean, I've already talked about how spectacular I find Jimenez's work, but oh, it's just such an awesome color that that really has that gravitas and atmosphere and that rich depth that i always just adore about his work number four i had the francis menopal foil variant for flash 800 this was a really nice i mean foil is always nice but like the foil of the lightning and the always like animated style that the kinetic style that manifold tends to have and it was just a really nice uh, celebratory flash cover number three another frizzen uh, ratio variance this time for the sacrifice of number one which is just again stunning how gorgeous this like, cover is prison's work just if you haven't had much experience with it definitely look it up and number two i had the princess menopause variant for marvel age 1000 from back in august i've as i say i, I was let's start again menopause has spent a lot of time at dc in his like career so far over sort of like early to mid 2010s and how things are going there and then moving on to Claire etc like I've talked about but it's been really nice to see him get some Marvel covers lately because of just how much I adore his work so going to, to see all these awesome Marvel characters and this Marvel Age 1000 cover was just gorgeous I like, got it framed next to me as I record this and yeah I just I, I really love it and number one though I have another Little Monsters cover this time the cover two nine the main cover by Dustin Wynn and because I mean talk about striking covers and like cover splashes and things the almost like the negative space of the cover with like the white of his his jacket and the blood and like the the red title and the credits and just like how the character's positioned his face it's just yeah it's, it's almost like weirdly mesmerizing just to like stare at how striking it is like oh, absolutely adore it and I think it's such a when you read so many comics so many issues like picking out any covers at all is a feat like the award like best comic of the year you have to make sure that i mean it and i uh, yeah i, I forgot a bit in that one great choices even though we can't see them i 
know at least a handful of those covers from memory and uh especially those little monster covers you were just talking about i really do adore those um i have one on my list which i'll get to but uh starting off number 15 this was a hard list i jokingly said we should do best cover and then joe sent me a list of his ranked and i was like you're a bastard and i hate you um so 28 <laughs> covers later i narrowed the list down to 15 while we were talking number 15 is House of Slaughter number 15. Go figure. It's the Aaron Campbell FOC reveal variant. This virgin cover is stunning. It's got this yellow, pink, and green, like, neon black light tone to it almost. It's got Jace Boucher standing real prominently in the middle with white masks behind him and, like, masquerade things on. It, it's stunning. Um, Aaron Campbell had some killer covers this year. There's another one for Behold Behemoth that almost got on this list. Um, number 14 is the little monster covers that I chose, which would be for 12, the main cover. Uh, it's featuring pretty much all the characters on scraps of paper. And what's especially amazing about this cover, which if I take the process into consideration, it's even higher than 14. Because I don't know if you know this, Joe, but this cover for 12 was done on a plane. He did individual sketches of each character and then laid them out in front of him and took a picture of them all stacked how they were and that became the oh yeah cover. yeah that, it, that rings a bell that you mentioned it. It, it's such a moving cover for the fine penultimate issue to that series um number 13 mm. i got harley quinn black white and redder number four the chris pachalo variant um harley made it on this list twice and this cover is definitely one of them um i was stoked to see this revealed she's got this her, her back to the side and it says Hostile Vista Baby and Gunsmoke and it's just, it's clean as hell and I love it. Um, number 12 is How I Became a Shoplifter, the Amalus Rose variant, which is limited to 2000 and I fucking adore this cover. It it beat out the fact that there was a Clerks homage cover. I didn't want to include an homage. As tempting as it was, there's too many for me to pick from. I was like, I don't need to do this to myself. Um, <laughs> But I love this variant of them getting caught spray painting how I became a shoplifter, the title on the wall. I think it's so fun that that one breaks the the trade dress and has it uh, sprayed out the way it does. Um, number 11, this was tough because there was two Alice Never After, there's three Alice Never After covers I wanted to acknowledge, but I'm going to stick to just one, and that's number four, the B cover by Zoo or Zoo. It's one of the most beautiful covers of the year. Um, it is just so vibrant and i don't know if it's watercolors that they work with but their their art blows me away every single time um number 10 is a fun one because i it's one that i bought as a cover that i didn't actually read so the only cover on here that i didn't actually read is for batman and the joker deadly duo number four david mack had two covers for this uh this book one with batman uh in a silhouette and one with Catwoman and a silhouette of a cat, and this Catwoman variant is just breathtaking. Um, number nine, we've got Money Shot Comes Again, number one, the one in 10 Zoe Thorogood variant. Uh, I, like I said, this book isn't necessarily for me by any means, but this cover is this like cutesy cosmonaut space lady floating around with uh, donuts and condom wrappers. It's just hilarious. Um, but I love the colors on that color that Zoe chose and everything about her style is like a huge favorite of mine. Um, number seven, a cover y'all should have already known I was going to talk about. 
it's Leonardo Romero's variant for Fantastic Four number eight. The cover that made me want an entire interior of Fantastic Four drawn by this fella. I uh, couldn't be happier to have him on Birds of Prey, so I'm at least getting something with interiors by him. But uh, that cover is stellar. And for it to pass surpass all the Alex Ross covers, including for Fantastic Four 10 with Ben floating around the house with the little dog, that speaks levels. Because I adore Alex Ross. I'm one of those people that is actually a huge Alex Ross fan. Um, I forced myself not to put Alex Ross or Jenny Frizen on this list. Can you believe that, Joe? Um, number six, I put Fallen Friend, Death of Kamala Khan, the Adrian Alphona variant. I thought that there's dual levels of beauty in this, having the original artist for her come back and draw this incredibly emotional profile view of Kamala um, with easily the most stunning hair I've ever seen on a cover. Um, it, it, it's a very powerful image, and I think it, it does that issue really well. Um, number five is a book I'm stoked for because it was supposed to be the first Lane Lloyd cover I ever got. It's What's the Furthest Place From Here? Number 12, the 1 in 10 Lane Lloyd incentive. Uh, it's got everything I love about Lane Lloyd all on one cover, and it's for one of my favorite books. Um, number 4 is probably the less, least known book on this list. It's Everything Sucks, All Cats Go to Hell. This book has every type of gimmick on the foil. It's got embossing. It's got spot-like semi-foil holographic features. It's got everything. It's got glitter bits on it. It's literally as decked out as can be, and it's also just a shit ton of cats storming the main characters from the Everything Sucks world, and I really, really love those characters. I love cats, and I love a gimmick cover, and for this one, I got it. I was like, that is well worth the eight bucks because of how much care they put into the print. It's printed like a champ, I'll tell you that much. Um, Number three, I got the book we talked about already, Knights Number 3. With this uh, Luigi Formisano, uh, My Neighbor Totoro homage, um, it's the homage that got to go on the list. I didn't keep them all off the list because this one really hit hit a sweet spot for me. Um, number two is The Coal. I'm going to say without a doubt that the Michael Walsh variant for The Coal, number one, is the most beautiful cover of the year. Um, it is not my number one cover because I am a nerd and I have tastes in particular things that we'll get to in a second. But this cover with the two characters getting ready to embrace for a kiss and they've got the plant life growing all around them. And it's this virgin variant that I can't believe this thing was open to order, y'all. Just absolutely gorgeous. And number one on the list, my personal favorite cover of the year is going to a newfound favorite comic uh, cover artist, at least. He's been doing the best work in Marvel Snap, and that's going to Harley Quinn, the animated series Legion of Bats number four. All of the variant covers were by Dan Hip, but this one took the cake. It's the awkward family photo featuring the Bat Fam. You've got Barbara, Dick, Damien. Uh, Bruce all in these bat sweaters that say na 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 on the sleeves. Harley in the background with braces, just kind of silhouetted, looking awkward as hell. And then King Shark is Harley's hand rest. So I don't think there's a, a cuter, more fun cover that came out this year. And if there is, I forgot about it or I couldn't afford to pick it up. Um, we did it, Joe. We talked about what I felt would be the absolute hardest part to talk about. Uh. And moving on to best single issue, 
of the year, which, again, it's like you read so many issues, like, as, as a whole, it's hard enough to talk about, like, series concisely, but to, like, try and nail it down to individual issues. But we, 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 we did, and so starting at number 10, I have Lovesick, issue 4, like I've already talked about with this series. It's funny, when I'm, like, trying to, like, go back to my review on this to find, like, how I said about it, and someone's like, Jesus Christ, what an issue it was at the top of you. I'm like, you're, you're, you're so right, brother, like, so intense. And, as I say, one of the most horrifying single issues I've ever read, and to be clear, I mean, that's a compliment to quote that review. Like how Luana says in, in the afterwards about her, like, inspiration and ideas on this. And how it like shifted with this second arc, and the yeah, the cannibalism that this series gets into. It. It's a sentence I'm not going to say again, hopefully, but my god, what an issue it was deserved at least a spotlight on this list. Next one was Spider Man 11 at issue 9, the origin of Bailey Spider Boy, uh, drawn by the one of each year stepping in for Mark Blagley here, and written by Dan of course, because this issue was just such a delight getting to see more of Bailey because we've we're getting like bits and pieces and crumbs of him in between his like first appearance in issue seven and it's like proper like a spotlight issue in eleven with his like edge of spider story and things but this felt like the nice like way to probably introduce ourselves to him and I just it was such fun to read. Next I had What's the Furthest Place from here issue thirteen at number eight. This was an incredible issue in an incredible series because the way that this focused on how these two characters in the story are trapped in this place and how the series sort of like shows them like trying to get out and trying to like make sense of this and the like repetitive nature just feels so dire and powerful and sort of makes you like when you finish reading you're like damn that that was intense um just uh reading black issue 25 was my number seven pick. This was one where the start of the current Catalyst War storyline, where the at the end of that issue, it was revealed that the series was splitting into two temporarily, where the series would follow like two different perspectives and two different issues of the same storyline. The Catalyst War event is these two main characters. You both see how they individually handled this like power of Radiant Black against this threat, and it was just it was something that I was excited for, but it really like lived up to and continued to live up to the expectations as the, the series goes on. It was such a, an awesome, epic, like, cinematic event, which is always exciting when you see something that sort of epic outside of the big two. Number six, I had The Oddly Pedestrian Life of Crystal Chaos, issue one. We don't need to say anything more about this, this series, but it just had such an impact on us from the start that I had to include it. And same with, like, Zawa and number five, issue one just absolutely fucking adored that first issue from like the writing, the art, the colouring, the lettering, the world, the characters, all by dark, the alienists are just phenomenal. Read that series um, in whatever format, whether you wait for trade or whatever, just check it out and check out the interview with Michael if you're interested because that was, that was a great one. At number four, I have Fantastic Four, number seven, also known as Legacy Issue 700. This is one where Owen, my friend Owen, on the November episode recently, 
and I asked him if he had a favourite issue from this current run of Fantastic Four that he'd recently caught up on. And he like mentioned this one of them, and it was really cool because like yeah, I completely agree. It's got awesome cover by Alex Ross, and it was nice to see Doom finally appear in this series after six months or so because he had been absent so far, and it was just such a perfect anniversary issue sort of utilizing the oversized format the oversized amount of pages and how it was paced and it was just yeah such an exciting and also funny issue that's something that i'm not sure if he like explicitly mentioned how like funny his run is and the moments with doom in the issue just yeah brilliant uh number three another fantastic four issue from that run but on issue 12 the start of the two-part dinosaur storyline so i had 13 is that the second part as the cover one of the covers of the year but this was one of like the issues of the year just symbolic of both of them but like seeing like the first introduction to this world all the like avengers as and as dinosaurs and the fantastic four as dinosaurs and how they're sort of like navigating this this world is such a again only two issues but there's so much packed in the actions packed in just gorgeously illustrated it was uh, a lot of fun it's definitely been a highlight of the run so far again sacrifices and claire were my both issue ones of both of those were my number two and number one picks and it doesn't feel like i need to say anything more about those but just some spectacular indie debuts on this list that just again sounding like a broken record we can't recommend these enough no kidding it definitely got some a little bit of overlap here, but not as much as I was thinking we might. So it's definitely going to be fun going back over these. So uh, number 10, I had to give it to the funniest book of the year, uh, How I Became a Shoplifter, number one. Um, listen to the podcast episode if you want to know anything else about that. That is seriously so damn funny. Um, number nine is also my best cover number eight that I somehow deleted from the list but it was supposed to be number eight and I just skipped it um but it's saga number 65 that's the cover that has lion cat curled over and it happens to just be my personal favorite issue of the return to um some very very impactful um action going down in that issue that was so cinematic so moving and really ripped my heart out at parts where it subverted expectations in a way that you know expectations get subverted um number eight i got something epic number one speaks for itself y'all um number seven deep cuts number one by kyle higgins uh while i do love all of that series i think that issue number one definitely stands out so far as the best of the three that have been released um it's just a great story about a young man trying to get into jazz music uh, number six is Chroma number four. Fantastic conclusion to a fantastic series, and coincidentally the first time I ever got published in a letters page. Um, number five, I put Little Monsters number 13, because I, if there's a better final issue this year, it's only comparable to Chroma. Um, this final issue was everything it could have been, considering that this is a series I wanted to go on past 50 issues. Um, for me to have felt satisfied in the way that I did with issue 13 of Little Monsters is one of the most profound um, statements I can make about these issues here um, in regards to their impact on me. That that issue ended so perfectly for that series. Um, number four, same as you, talking about Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos, just incredibly moved. Um, top three, a little bit of variation, uh, Sirens of the City number one, 
I already said my piece on it. I think it's something that everyone should have to read in the U.S. at least. Um, I don't know how prominent the healthcare situation is for women outside of the States right now, but uh, that's an important ass book. Uh, Sacrifice is number one. I, I literally don't need to say more. The free comic book day issue was a perfect sample of what we were going to get. And number one is a very specific pick for me, and it's because I read the advanced review of this. It's so strange. Image sent me issue one and three of Swan Songs. They didn't send me number two, so I didn't get to read the one I was most looking forward to with Casper Wingard's art. But uh, Swan Songs number three by Maxwell Prince with art by Felipe Andrade is the most beautiful book of the year. Um, It was one that I need to revisit so that it can be fresh, but for the most part, it's this story of two people learning to live in a world seemingly desolated and no longer, you know, involved with anybody but them, seemingly the last two people alive kind of thing. And the story was this like almost beautiful spin on Adam and Eve, but redone. It's, it's breathtaking in that. I wish I could have picked up the individual issue actually, but that brings us to best one shot or best, yeah, best one shot. Yeah. So at number five, I had DC Pride for this year. I think, as we mentioned on the Best Comics episode, the overall summary, it wasn't as good as last year, but that was such a high bar to reach that I mean, we both enjoyed it a lot. And there's just so many great, fun you know, queer stories and queer creators here that are just so great to see another gorgeous cover as well for this year by Matthias Manhanini. So I hope I said that correctly. And so, like those are the gorgeous covers for that issue as well, including the Jim Bartel, Harley Quinn, and Poison Ivy one, which I know that you were really into at the time. At number four, I had Meanwhile, a comic shop anthology, as I mentioned also in that episode. This is one that I saw stumbled across on Twitter that was being kickstarted and was like sold to jump on it. I mean, like Scott Snyder, Jeff Johns, Joshua Williamson, just name it, Brian Michael Bendis, just name a few of the creators on there. That, but it was a nice mix of like the high-profile ones, the some more like uh, indie creators that I've been introduced to for the first time. Black and white stories, color stories, genre stories, stories about comic books, stories about comic book stores. It just thought there was so much to read there that it felt like such a very satisfying and worthwhile read that I would definitely recommend you try and pick up if you can get your hands on it just by googling it and so you'll find a suitable option for you. It's Jeff. Shawan was my number three pick. Of symbolizes uh, the sequel, it's Jeff the Jeff verse as well because it's just adorable, it's so sweet, and such a like fluffy, wholesome, like innocent issue that I just I can't remember enough. Like, especially if you have kids, it might be like a brilliant uh read, sort of like follow along with them. And it says all ages on like I'm a guru hero's artwork, like paired with like Kelly Thompson's writing, is just. Yeah, it's such a delight. I can't recommend it. Jeff enough. He's amazing. And number two, I have Batman One Bat Day Clayface. Like we mentioned uh, yesterday, Clayface uh, is one that I wasn't initially that convinced about picking up. But then, like the Comic Book Couples Counseling podcast interview with the writers, Colin Kelly, Jackson Landing, convinced me. And the artwork by Samanico and Romero Fajardo Jr. just looks incredible and uh, that lettering by Tom Napolitino just fit with it all so effectively it was such a, a powerhouse of an issue with like every single creator was just firing on all firing not firing firing on all cylinders 
just what a stellar issue and easily my favourite out of the Wombat Day lineup. But there were some fun stories in that lineup that I could have also included that you can hear us talk a bit more about yesterday in that Best of Comics uh, episode. But my number one had to be FRS that we've talked about. I love for that issue by Alice Abdulhaq and Dennis Imperi. It's just just such a gorgeous, poetic issue. And again, you can listen to that Best Comics episode in the podcast feed before this and hear a bit more about it. But the like the poetry of it, the narration, the artwork, how it's painted, it's so, so lovely and so nice. I'm so glad I was able to check it out. I'm going to try and burn through my list because I would like to try and talk about these, and I do have double what you have on one-shots. I think I just read more. Um, number 10, I'll go really quick. Flowers for Henry by Nikolai Fomic. This is a tragic, heartbreaking, yet beautiful, endearing tale about a young boy dying. Um, number 9, Duchesne Smile by Damian Connolly. Uh, easily the most fucked up thing I've ever read that still managed to be accessible in that it did it. It says some of the most fucked up things and per- talks about some of the most fucked up things, but nothing that it portrays is explicitly graphic. Um, number eight is Reflection, that cloning story I told you all from Massive, if you listened yesterday. Um, number seven, Mize in Place by Matt Carr and art by Lane Lloyd. Really, really fun book. I hope this gets picked up as like an actual series. Um, number six was The Fallen Friend, Death of Kamal Khan special. And we'll get to my top five, which was Batman One Bad Day, Catwoman by G. Will Wilson, which I've already praised enough. Number four is Everything Sucks, All Cats Go to Hell. I've really fallen in love with this series of one-shots, and this one was my favorite by Michael Sweater. Um, Number three is A Theorist. It's very hard to not have this at number one for best one-shot, but these other two books hit a special chord in different ways. Um, Number two is... There's a... The only reason why it's not number one is because it is nonfiction versus fiction, I think. And because I was so moved by the fictional story that's emotionally grounded in the first pick for me, I had to go with number two for Secret History of Black Punk by Regan Buchanan. This book was one of the most interesting books I read all year. It dives really deep into the very secret history of black punk music um stellar artwork stellar layouts stellar lettering everything about it was perfect um highly recommend if you can get your hands on it but number one has to go to and we love you from scout comics um and fellhound i had missed out on commander rao and frankly i'm glad i did because i think i wouldn't have had it hit the same had i read commander rao first and we love you is a direct follow-up to commander rao a story that was initially set, Commander Rao was initially just to practice some character design and some action sequences, turned into this beautiful tale of these two women in uh, some military service and one loses the other. And it is the most heartbreaking and just beautifully tragic single issue of the year for me. Um, Highly, highly recommend it. And for whatever reason... I highly recommend you read And We Love You and then Commander Rao from last year. I I do think that the order matters in that, uh, you know, it it just, to me it does. I could be mistaken, but I I was so moved by that. I picked it up and read it blind off the wall, and I was pretty much crying at work afterwards. It was stunning. Nice. For moving on to best graphic novel, 
at this is already cool this because it's all includes some I some collections some I picked up like that I just original novels that I just adored some I got to read to like meeting people through the podcast so at number 10 I had Parallel Special Edition just written by uh, Jason Douglas by Adam Ferris I think by Justin Birch that it was really cool to have Jason on the podcast like right earlier in the year and tell about like his touching story with his his writing endeavours, his battle with cancer, and how this story about like second chances and sort of like a disturbing sort of I mean Twilight Zone-ish kind of uh, quick story. It wasn't too long. It was just nice to just quick disturbing. And I'm glad I got to check it out. Number nine, I had Cooking with Monsters, Volume One, Beginner's Guide to Culinary Combat. I feel like I have to say the whole title of that one because it's just so fun. With Jordan Asakwa and Vivian Truong, it was a really fun conversation with them a couple of months ago about this awesome book. And you hopefully it was going to be a new sort of YA line about cooking and monster fighting and a nice diverse cast of like LGBTQ characters. And it was just, yeah, a, a, a fun book that I'm excited to see more of hopefully eventually. Number eight at Under Kingdom where Christoph Gatch and Mary Inger was one where I had them onto the, the podcast to talk about this awesome book. The the artwork is so unique in how it was stylized that that stood out to me when I was first emailed about this and because it wasn't listed as a like a volume one, I was surprised when it ended on such a not an unsatisfying note, but on like a cliffhanger that makes me very excited to hopefully to see more. But I really enjoyed like the hints of the characters that we got here and the the look at like the characters in this world and it's one that I need to pick up as well physically to see Marie's artwork like that. Then Dahlia in the Dark by Joe Carallo of Andrea Manana, lettering by Michael Myers. It's like a, a fun high octane sort of racing thriller. It's, uh, I had like fantasy elements and it was a wild ride as the description says like where it ended felt like tight and snappy and nice to talk to Joe about this series a couple of times this year. Then Magic Powder Volume 1 this is one that was really cool too because I'd seen like writer Jeff Schiller of do the the rounds on like um, Laura and a friendly neighborhood advice podcast so it was cool to get to talk to him myself about this book that described as fantasy crime epic and it's really cool to see like the blend between the magical fantasy world it's rich and lived in and the grounded mobster crime drama elements and the like whimsical animated mystical art style by Daniela Aquini works really nicely and it's one that's I'm glad seeing consistent success on the Kickstarter and uh, I'm hopeful that this series will continue to uh, have a, like a solid audience on that platform because it is been a lot of fun so far and Jeff is great. And number five, I had Ant-Man Antiversary, the, the trade paperback from Al Ewing, Tom Riley, Jody Belair. This, this was a series I, like, I missed out on when it was just collecting and single issues because I just wanted to trade with it and I was so excited to able to read this a couple of months ago when I found the trade quite cheaply. It was just a lot of fun. I don't have much history with like the Ant-Man, different Ant-Man characters in comics. It was an, like, an epic WrestleStop tour of his, like, his history in his different eras and how that was all, all brought together into a nice four-issue story. It was a, a lot of fun and the art was just, I was changing to a different style. It was really cool to see. At number four, The Unlikely 
story of Felix the Macabre, the Unibar, and Hassan Smain Ahal, who wrote an letter of it while Juni uh, drew it. We've also talked a bit about a little bit about yesterday. Just uh, a nice, fun, brisk read that I got to pick up a football with. Gorgeous, rich animated art style that Junibar is just so unique. And it was a a nice mix between sort of heartfelt story and action-packed and character-driven. And number three, uh, Cosmic Detective, which I'm so glad I got to catch up on for these recordings, like Jeff Lemire, Matt Kent, David Rubin, as what you mentioned, because the artwork is just incredible. The story, it starts off in a more crime drama place, like the sci-fi crime drama, and then it gets, sort of goes fully off the wall and leans into the, the fantasy Jack Kirby and Spider-Man's, which was really cool to see, and that I'm... I'm really glad I got the chance to dive into it this uh, this weekend with the new image trade that's been out since it, it came out and collecting the original Kickstarter because I missed out on that originally. And then number two, Four Color Heroes from Richard Fairgrave wrote and drew it. And there's another one that I mentioned meant a lot to me it's of a couple of gay school boys in like New Zealand in the the early, early 2000s sort of highlights how like these anti sort of gay laws and things went just like everywhere and so to see like Richard Fairgrave's sort of bring up into the story was like very touching and meant a lot to me and was one of the ones that I was most excited for especially in how it all played out getting a review copy and getting to talk to sort about it on the podcast and then getting a physical copy towards the end of the year and really excited to reread that one but at number one I deliberated on whether to like oh, like where, where to put this exactly like whether it's above four, four color heroes or not but i just i just I adore the wind series so much that because this was like new to me collecting issues that came out last year but this lovely new hardcover wind book three thrown in the sky james tiny in the fourth michael dianiness just yeah such a a wonderful series lettering by Amor design it's funny by the way but yeah i think that's don't say much more about that but just highly recommend wind as always I'm glad you included it. I think that's a very fair count since you didn't get to read the individual issues last year. So. Yes, exactly. Uh, for me, I got uh, number eight. I know you had Parallel Deluxe Edition on yours as well. Jason Douglas has been a real joy to chat with. Uh, I wish him the best on his journey right now. He's uh, he's fighting and uh, he's still writing. I, I want to check out his Jane American uh, one-shot and uh, I-, I wish to do the best. Um Number seven was Teen Titans Robin from Kami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo. Um, I've been following Piccolo for years now. Um, before I even got back into reading comics in 2019, I started following him um, for his just like pictures he would post of just doing art of the Teen Titans in this more casual style. And whenever I heard they were announcing that Damien was getting the, the next installment, I was over the moon and it was just, it was a joy. Um, Number six, a fun little book called Grog the Frog, Book of Taurus by Alba G. Alba BG. I don't know anything else to say about this book other than that it was just fun and I like frogs, okay? Um, number five is Night Fever by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Um, read this in an early review. It was just a great crime novel. Um, I really like that crew. Everything I've read by them has been pretty stellar. Um, but they had a better release this year that I'm going to talk about in a second. Um, number four is one I was very eager for, Parasocial, my first time reading Alex DeCampi's work. Um, and this had Erica Henderson on art, which was stellar. It also had a, a fantastic soundtrack, so uh, a- another soundtrack for the win here. Um, 
about this really uncomfortable, like, stalker-esque relationship that somebody has with a comic creator. And it it's frightening. It's real-world kind of horror. Um, very grounded. I think it's very important in the hobby that we're in that we acknowledge as much as it might feel like we're bonding with some of these creators, we don't know them and we can't expect certain things from them. And that's very much what Parasocial was about. Um, number three, I just got to read this yesterday, Where the Body Was by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Again, Colors by Jacob Phillips, which is like, again, so endearing. Um, this is my favorite thing I've read by Ed Brubaker and uh, Sean. I thought this was stellar. The narration alone, the way it's formatted, I, I could never sell anybody on just with my words like it's as if the story is being told through interviews across two different times time periods while simultaneously there is no interviewer so like nobody seems to actually be asking any questions they're just getting the story told piece by piece through these different lenses and uh it was fantastic colors by jacob phillips uh there's some body positivity that i really appreciated seeing in there um you know which was completely unexpected. Usually when you see nudity in comics, they all have the same body type, but here uh, it was not the case. And I, I, I genuinely loved the fuck out of that. Um, so definitely check out where the body was. It's definitely a sleeper hit from the end of the year here, uh, sneaking out in this last month. Uh, number two, it's from earlier in the year. It was supposed to come out in single issues last year by Jeremy Holt. This is the Gatsby book that uh, is a LGBTQIA plus retelling modernized version of great gatsby i thought it was such a fun and clever and kind of really just impactful way of viewing this great gatsby story from f scott Fitzgerald, uh spun on its head a bit um to represent more of a new age with the similar problems you know um and then number one i think i've talked enough about it uh cosmic detective i missed it last year on the kickstarter i didn't miss it this year um, I adored that book and uh, pretty much created this category to make sure I could talk about this book because um, I didn't know where it would fit in if we didn't do a graphic novel section. But I, I, I there's some great original graphic novels and, and books out this year altogether. Nice. So this was like uh, as like the penultimate category before we get to our battle like the best comic. Of the year, so the final final ranking this is a fun called Best New to Me comic, and I ended up with 23, which initially irked me, but then I was like, actually, that's appropriate for 2023, so I'm fine with it. But starting off with Black Mirror Library Edition, wanted to act number 23, Jeff the Mayor, Dean Olmston, a lot of amazing people. This was one that I, a couple of years ago, when I finally got to dive into the first volume, I loved it, and I was very easy to get into this one, and it didn't disappoint, including. One of the, the few times uh, a page turn reveal has left me, like, it's made me gasp with my mouth open. 22, where Teenage Mutant Turtles IDW Collection, Volume 1, after the Mutant Mayhem animated film that came up this year, which we'll talk about next time on our Best Movies and Shows episode. I was, I, I finally, I was itching to finally dive into the IDW run. I decided that these recent paperbacks would be a nice way to go into it, and I enjoyed it and I'm excited to read. I've got the second one already, so I can dive into that when I get a chance. At 21, Ultimate Spider-Man Omnibus Volume 2. It's another series that I've been enjoying uh, finally diving into. It's not always um, amazing. It's not, like, age the best at times, but it is a lot of fun with Brian Michael Bendis, Mark Bagley mostly, that's decided to pick up the, the next Omnibus and that series as they continue them. 20, Batman Universe, Brian Michael Bendis, Nick Darrington. 
this series was a lot of fun. The frantic pace of it, because of how it was originally released in like strips in Walmart Giants and like 10 pages made it, uh, again, yeah, a, a really enjoyable fantasy read and the artwork by Darrington is just awesome. One of my, maybe one of my highlights from, from Bendis, especially in sort of recent years, number 19, Walking Dead Compendium Volume 2, after the stunning like ending to Compendium 1, which was just wild, there was so much ground covered here that I enjoyed of characters old and new that I'm excited to see where this series continues now at the halfway point and there's a final two compendiums. And number 18 this year, I was glad to finally check out the Scott Young run of Deadpool with Nick Klein, Scott Hepburn, Ian Herring, like all on the artwork and colouring, etc. This run was a, a lot of fun and I, it, it was a really nice mix between sort of like a, like in, in, in this volume, for example, you know, at the point of the series, there'd be like a three issue storyline and then like three one shots and then a three issue storyline. So it was like a nice mix of that sort of thing. It was a sort of zany Deadpool comedy that with awesome artwork though. I, I hope that I hope that they get a longer run. Like I would have wanted that, like reading the end of it, but it got cut off. So oh, well, it happens. Deadpool hasn't been able to sustain their title for a very long recently, but that's the whole conversation. Uh, Tokyo Ghost is at seventeen, which I already talked about. Awesome book. At sixteen, the Fantastic Four by Hickman, Omnibus Volume One. That's I'm again another series that I've had so much felt that I was really glad to get into this. Yeah, with like artists like Dale Eagles Hand, Steve Epting, awesome art artists and very eager to read the second on the verse when I can get my hands on it because it definitely has that epic gravitas and feel that I've heard about this run. At 15, Gideon Falls, Next Edition, Volume 1, another one when I'm incredibly eager to read the second half and the second half cover, especially given the ending to the first one. The, some of the most unique panelling and sort of layouts and artwork that I've seen here from Andrew Santino, where he manages to really get into like the like the grit of the the dirt of the series and it's like the like the rubbish that the main characters collecting it's all so rough and conveys like it's so scary and like, again right another just fantastic series by Jeff Lemire if you haven't read that already. Fourteen I had the Colock I W this was one that was uh, written, written and drawn by Livio Ramonzelli. This series was wild like about robots who are like tied together by this thing called the kill lock as a punishment so if one of them dies and they all do and it's about like it's like no really nice science fiction book if you haven't read it already and the artwork is so so realistic for like robots like you can feel like the metal clang and the silver of them it's oh so cool the 13 murder falcon by daniel one johnson I was so glad to read another one of Daniel One Johnson's series after that, like Mike Battery Bill and do a Powerbomb. That was my favourite series of last year. So Murder Falcon was just an action-packed thrill ride, both like with the action, but also with an emotional punch in the gut at the end. It was like, oh, most of the Daniel One Johnson's books made me cry. I wasn't crying yet. And then, and then of course, I, I, eventually, I just, I, the waterworks opened. Like, awesome colouring by Mike Spicer as well. Superman's Pal. Jimmy Olsen, who caught Jimmy Olsen was number 12. Matt Fraction, Steve Lieber, Nathan Fairbairn. This was such a wordy series in the best way. It was such a tiring series to read in the best way, sort of inspired by the, you know, if you've ever read any Stanley Silver Age comics, that's like his narration. I mean, bless like 
Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko for like trying to draw and all these amazing artists trying to draw around them. But like when that narration would just go on forever, they really take that to heart like, multiple times per issue. And it's a twelve issue series, so a lot but fantastic artwork. Such a such a funny, amazing series that I'm so glad I finally read. The Grimple on the bus was number eleven. This yeah. Grimple is one that it doesn't seem like anything it's fun, but it doesn't seem like anything in particular spectacular at first. But then when Christopher Hating Christopher Hastings, sorry, on writing and Hero sort of fully unlock the the scale and the emotion of what like she as a character means and just goes like off the wall story wise and artistically and creates such a a wonderful and emotional final couple of arcs of series that can maybe take you by surprise. And also this omnibus was really nice because it includes like all of her appearances since she appeared because that's like feasible because she doesn't have too many. So it was a lot of fun. It was felt very comprehensive and satisfying like omnibus to check out. Number 10, The Core Room by Jonathan Hickman and Mike Huddleston and Russ Wooten and lettering Swarm was Oh my god, the, the artwork by Huddleston alone was just insane. We had a changing style as he goes through the infographics by Hickman, the the amount of just stuff that's packed into these eight issues that's like enough to, to blow your mind and it it did blow my mind. If there's a visually interesting and absolutely stunning book more so than this one, then I like absolutely want to hear about it because this is just amazing. Oh, the whole aesthetic, the assassins and sci-fi and amazing. Number nine, Superman Sasha's The Clan from Junior and Ang and Guru I just I, I love Guruhiro's artwork, so that was really perfect for this like such an animated story and Junior and Yang weaving these plot threads together where of like Superman facing totally not the the KKK that it doesn't feel like heavy-handed but it feels like heavy-handed enough to convey the point that he's trying to make like it just yeah uh, I feel like it was very nicely balanced with like Superman's identity and so like the otherness on both a metaphorical like level with Superman and a literal level with him and also a literal level with like Asian characters and the totally not the KKK in Metropolis, where it's like effective and clear and concise, but not clunky. It's just, yeah, brilliant. Number eight, Underwater World by Jeff Lemire. Another just fantastic Jeff Lemire book. Take my word for it and go read it. It's just wild. I think that's like Robin. his Twilight Zone book. Yes, I've heard that. That book genuinely reads like one of the best unshown episodes of Twilight Zone. So good. I'm glad you read that this year because I, I read that last year and it's so good. And number eight, seven. Batman and Robin by Tomasin Gleason on the burst. This is one that the announced that there was going to be a reprint this year of the book, and I did not want to miss out on that because I missed out on the first time when this was printed, and I had so many good things about it. Especially felt like it was nice to read like another piece of the puzzle in terms of Damien's timeline and Tomasin's work is so brilliant on like Super Sons with like Jimenez and uh, the Superman and Robin with Gleason. And I, I think I enjoyed it a lot more than a Superman. I think it felt more cohesive. And that's not necessarily their fault. It's more to do with like editorial meddling, I think. But it just had a, a more satisfying, like, again, cohesive emotional punch to it that was just yeah, fantastic. Number six, of all the times I've talked about my love for Furthest Place with Rosenberg and Boss, finally read Four Kids Walking to a Bank earlier in this year. 
and it was just fantastic. The 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 panelling, the, the texture of the artwork, how the story is told, where it all leads, the characters. Again, it, it's like one that we could like lots of these books we could easily do four episodes on and hopefully we will but i would love to because I, I think yeah what a series put on your recommendations from last year where i was like if there's one book i can get you to read in 2023 i think Maybe. it was four kids walk into a bank oh, invisible kingdom the will was in christian ward at number five just christian i mean you've talked about christian ward's like breathtaking artwork and the that's a poignant tale both like emotionally with the characters involved and the messages that Wilson is sort of saying and what's what intertwined about our world and the story within this universe and that sci-fi space opera elements of it. It's one that I tend to like sit on my reviews. I don't for like bigger books, I don't really review straight away. I tend to wait a bit. And it's one that I was delayed reviewing, like I just sort of didn't get around to it. And then eventually it came to a point where it's like actually I need to like reread this and so could all it a second time for properly writing a review and processing all of my thoughts about it. For on the Sunbeam, Tilly Warden, I was introduced to Tilly Warden fairly recently and this sort of story about it was just only features like female characters or at least female sun female at birth characters that and such a gorgeous art style is similar to almost like how I described Matt Lopez's colouring on Wide World was a bit in a completely different way, where it's, it feels, it doesn't feel barren, space doesn't feel barren, it just feels so like, beautiful with like, stars out there, and one that I've got into the habit of like listening to like lo-fi music, lo-fi girl, if you know who that is, on like, YouTube and Spotify this year with my books, but on a Sunbeam as well, it's like if there's any comic that I want to listen to with that, it's just like on a Sunbeam, because it's, it's a fairly substantial size book, but like towards the, once you get past the setup halfway through and you get into the back half of the book, it sort of escalates in terms of the action. It's just such a delight to get introduced to all these characters and have such a focus on character over action for most of it and the emotions that are part of it. It's just such a, yeah, what, just, uh, I, I adore it. I'd highly recommend it. Number three, I've talked like endlessly about the mayor. But I finally read his and Greg Smallwood's Moon Knight run, which I've been itching to read since the complete collection came out last March. And I finally got to in the sort of third or fourth quarter of the year. And what a trippy ride this was. What a wild ride. It was sort of about lived up to everything that I heard about it and where it takes like Moon Knight as a character and his different personalities and how like, I think in that the second arc when they have like Francisco and Kavita and James Stokoe on like doing some of the, the stories and just oh, yeah just it's such a, a fun like spectacular fantastic one to have all in one trade paperback that I'm very excited I took that oh sorry coming by Jolly Bella who else um yeah number two of AD After Death by Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire I mean if I talked about how much I loved like Moonlight on a Sunbeam, all of those comics, he's like top two are just transcendent. That sounds like high praise, but AD after the death, oh my god. It was one that was always something that struck me as a curiosity because I'd heard about I mean, I hadn't really heard about it, but I'd heard about it enough to add it to my wish list and it was always there, like, oh I'll get to that eventually. I mean Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire, like what a what a fantastic team. Got the nice hardcover 
like for a fantastic deal, I delve into it. And it's a mixture of like prose and sequential storytelling about this guy and like hundreds of years after we've discovered immortality and the uh, the road it leads him on it's quite something the connection to him and the story being told in the world through the prose is just legendary and yeah what what an experience that book was but at number one one of my new like favorite books like just all time silver surfer by dan slot and michael allred and laura allred what a fucking run what a fucking ride this is if you want some great breakdowns on this series, then do listen to, and I keep recommending them, comment book couples counselling episodes on this. But when it starts, it's it feels like something special right from the start. You're like, oh, this is nice. It's like Dan's not doing a riff on Doctor Who with giving himself a stuff like a companion and their adventures through the universe. Some really nice, fun one-shot stories and ideas in here. Some just gut-punching emotional moments and where it all leads in the because it was one of those runs that was broken up by sequel wars so it's like two sets of i think it's like 15 issues and 14 issues but that like that second run where that goes and how it all ends just oh my god yeah speechless what a what, what a fucking run I'm so stoked to check that out, out. Yeah. I love that I considered trying to read it in like three days before the recording and then didn't have any time to myself for actual reading, but I, I'm very eager to get to that eventually. I'm glad you loved it as much as you did because you got me more hyped for it. Yeah, except that was another one where, like Batman and Robin, it's been out of print since, it, since the, the Omnibus first came out several years ago, so it was one I was not missing out on again. Totally. Well, I'm going to start my list off with a bit of a stain now that I was going through and I was going to try and make sure I knew who wrote and drew everything. I'm going to still list this. I did deliberation the entire time you're listing yours, but I'm not going to say who wrote it because I know too much about the dude who wrote it to uh, give him any praise. But I did want to mention that I read Godzilla vs. Barkley from 1993 Dark Horse Comics, and it is hilarious. It's one of the funniest bits of comic history I've ever touched. Um... And it's definitely worth the read, especially now that the dude who wrote it isn't going to be getting in the money if you buy it. So definitely seek that out for the read. Um, but that's number 18. Number 17 is Wonder Woman Dead Earth by Daniel Warren Johnson. Not a lot to say about this. It's just a badass book about Wonder Woman by one of my favorite artists and writers. Uh, Mike Spicer on art is always just next level. Um, number th- 16 is... One I really want you to read, Joe. It's called Powerless. It's a 2004 Marvel oh, comic yeah. uh, by Matt Chernis, Peter Johnson, with art by Michael Gatos. It is stellar. It is better than most of the Marvel books that came out this year. Um, it is unlike any other Marvel book I've ever read, and I like. I'm surprised that it came out in 2004 because it feels like something that they would have moved towards doing nowadays. But instead, they seem to have had a really cool period in the early 2000s where they were trying neat stuff like, what about a story where we have people that are usually heroes, except they're not heroes and they don't have any powers. Um, Really, really dope Marvel book. One of my new favorite Marvel books. Um, Number 15 is Punk's Not Dead by David Barnett with early artwork by Martin Simmons. 
Um, I only got to read the first volume of this in single issues, thankfully, because um, the covers are fucking insane. Um, this was a great book. Uh, I want to read on. It's just about this kind of outsider kid who starts getting visited by the ghost of Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols. Super casual, but it's fun. Um, number 13 is Self-Obsessed by Cena Grace. Uh, last year, I read Not My Bag, and it completely won my heart um, and really resonated with me. It's in my list of books to get to know me. Self-Obsessed, definitely connected with it a little bit less, but only because uh, there's actually some more prose in this where Cena's just like sharing some stuff they've never shared, essay form, stuff like that. Um, all around, though, Cena Grace is just fucking glorious and... Uh, we love them. Uh, number 12 is The Wake by Scott Snyder and Sean Murphy. Uh, it's funny because after reading this, I heard that some people hated it when it was coming out because halfway through it has a huge shift that you're like, oh, shit. Okay, well, I guess fuck me then. Um, but I loved it. I read it in one sitting, so I didn't mind it. But I can imagine if you're reading for five months and then on month six – or if there's a hiatus, you know, by the time issue six come out, it kind of changes course. I could see some people being upset, but I, I loved it. I thought it was excellent work. Sean Murphy's forever a favorite. Um, number 10, I get to finally say I've read uh, Tank Girl Volume 1 from 1988 by Alan Martin and Jamie Hewlett. Jamie Hewlett, uh, known for the art design of the gorillas. Um one of my favorite bands ever. I fucking adore Jamie Hewlett's art outside of comics because other than Tank Girl, I, I know his art strictly from Gorillaz. Um, he's genuinely just one of my favorite artists in general. Like I'd love to read all of Tank Girl, even if some of it doesn't necessarily hold up per se or some of it may not be like the most. Um, it's definitely of its time, but it wasn't so much so that I felt offended in any way. Um, number nine, uh, you already talked about it, so I won't dive in deep. I was just really eager to finally read this because whenever I first started selling comics at a comic shop, like working for one, uh, Superman Smashes the Clan started coming out. And we only got the first issue in, but I thought it was such a cool concept that they were like, you know what? We're going to do this. Um, so that's a really good book, especially if we by chance have any teachers listening. I think it's a great uh, classroom tool. Um, number eight, this book – I honestly kind of forget that I read it this year because if I'm being honest, it's the most depressing thing I've ever read by Jeff Lemire. And it's his first book, Lost Dogs from 2005. It is an incredibly short read, but you know, his art is a lot rougher. It's beautiful to see where he came from in his artwork. Um, and you know, more than anything, it's just like, it's just heartbreaking. Truly. Um, number seven, I got to finally read pretty deadly after getting my introductions to Kelly Thompson and all that, not Kelly Thompson, uh, Kelly Sudaconic on, I, I was talking, uh, Kelly Sudaconic on, uh, Twitter last year about bitch planet. And, uh, I finally got to read, um, uh, pretty deadly this year. Uh, we're talking Kelly Thompson so much. I got the wrong Kelly in my mind, but the artwork by Emma Rios, I love this book because each volume, it takes a different set of things within the same basic ruling, so to speak, kind of like generational, happenings i guess um number six is a book that i highly recommend folks seek out i only found it because i saw it at barnes noble one day i was like i want to read that and then i found it at the library one day and i was like hey i get to read that um it's called the high desert by james spooner it is a afropunk memoir about james spooner's life growing up as a black punk and just like secret history of black punk it had a huge impact on me this year um I read that probably a few months prior, but definitely earned that number six spot. 
one of the best things I read this year. Um, James Spooner is great to just follow on social media too. Uh, he's constantly doing talks and stuff still with this book. Um, number five, we got Daniel Warren Johnson back on the list with Murder Falcon, which uh, I did get to read this year. I thought I read it last year, but I didn't. I double-checked that. Um, who knew a book with such a silly concept could be so goddamn heartbreaking and emotional? Um Number four is what quickly became my probably my favorite Batman book I've ever read outside of White Knight. Um, it's Batman the Cult from 1988. Jim Starlin on this one, and I forgot to write down the artist, but this was a dark Batman story. Uh, Batman gets broken down more than just his back broken by Bane. He is he he loses hope in a way that i've never seen anyone take batman to before if you think you've seen batman at his worst day um i'd be curious if you're referring to batman the cult or not because i don't know that i've ever seen him go through something more intense and dark as what takes place in batman the cult i think it's an oddly important tale um for a batman story about the dangers of uh you know like religious cults specifically um Number three is one that I had originally forgot was this year because of how much Sean Murphy I read last year. But Tokyo Ghost, so damn good. So damn good. Um, Number two is a book. This is the only technicality I put on this list, but having not gotten the chance to read it until December 31st last year, it's the book I ended 2022 with before starting with my number one pick of the year. Um, Deathbed by Joshua Williamson and Riley Rosomo. This was originally published under Vertigo and re-released under DC Black Label last year at the very end of the year. I read it, like I said, last book I read of 2022, and it could not have been more impactful for what I was looking for moving on to things like a New Year's resolution to try and write more. Um, This story means so much to me that just sitting here looking at it, I'm like, damn it, I need to reread it because it's not that fresh in my mind anymore. But that's the the power of a year's worth of reading. So Deathbed... uh, I love everything I've read by Joshua Williamson that I can name. Um, and Riley Rosomo, I, I love their run on Harley. I know a lot of people seem to not. I love their work, and it was even more fun to see them drawing characters that nobody could complain about because it's the first time these characters have been drawn. Um, without a doubt, book of the year that is best new to me. Um, I, I'll go as far as to say the most important book for me personally this year out of Every single book I read is the first book that I read at the beginning of the year um, was The Complete Tale of Middle West by Scott Young and uh, George Corona. I have not been impacted by a book this hard all year. The closest I got was Immortal Sergeant, and that's that's saying something if you guys really paid attention to what I was talking about with that book as vague as I got. Um, Middle West is the tale of leaving abuse and breaking the cycle of abuse even after you've recognized that it is in fact a cycle and that it didn't end with you and it's a book that addresses that at the end of the day forgiveness does not mean forgetting nor does it necessarily exist as a necessity you don't have to forgive somebody just because you understand why they did something wrong to you and that sort of thing. Um, no book this year meant more to me than Middle West. What what book that was? So damn good. It, it's been one that I've wanted to go back and reread since, even though I, you know, really did just recently read it. Um, 
just at the start of the year, but it, it, it may, means the world to me. Without further ado, I think that brings us to the question of yeah. the day. Joe, what's the best comic of 2023? If you're listening to this, then you're don't tell the other the other listeners that like dropped off earlier on. You're like you you're you're my favorite. You are amazing. Like thank you. Especially if you like listen to all three hours of the best comics episode and then you're still listening here like six hours later, then you're just amazing. Thank you. Um even if you made it through all of this, that's an accomplishment in itself. But yes, best comic of the year, top ten, track down, ranked, including all the, the issues, the one shots, the series. Big two indie, it's all come down to this. Number ten, Birds of Prey, which like considering how high it was up on my big two list, start to show that the scale of this. But number nine, plot holes. Number eight, it's Jeff. Number seven, Fantastic Four. Number six, Kaya. Number five, Chroma. Number four, Batman, One Bat Day, Clayface. Number three, Etherus. Number two, Order Against All, and number one, what else? sacrifices yes i didn't even put my top 10 for best comic i literally just put (laughs) the best comic of the year is sacrificers um i didn't know how much we wanted to repeat some of the others and i was like i could sit here and try yeah i get that best big two and best indie together but at the end of the day it all comes down to it sacrificers swept me off my feet on new uh free comic book day I knew nothing about it. I picked up that free sampler and it just sucked me right in. I cared more about that book than anything else that came out on that day. And that means a lot because I was most eager for Fish Flies and Animal Castle Volume 2 preview. So really keep that in mind. This book means so much to me in that it has done such magnificent work in bringing its themes right out and like front and center. Um, you you can like find deep messages on almost any page of each issue and it's just wonderful that that was the funny thing about sacrifices with the free comic issue because I'd heard I mean Rimmins has so many series coming out at like one time that I was aware of for like osmosis and things but I my shot that was one of the free comic issues that they didn't have so I didn't actually get to read the sampler and so I, I heard about it like vaguely but I didn't like, yeah, actually like get to read it. It's like the first half. Of literally, the... the first issue came out. Yeah, I think it's like the first yeah. half of the first issue, if I'm not mistaken. That was like my first exposure, and it just, yeah, completely knocked it out of the park. And it's, I think, impressive because, for example, like Do a Power Bottom by Johnny uh, One Johnson and Mike Spicer took for last year was my favorite, and that that was a complete series. That was like seven issues, Eight. like beginning, middle, end. Um. And whereas like sacrifice is only like five issues in, and it's still very clearly going to be like ongoing, hopefully for some time. We've only scratched the surface, and yet it's made such an impression. That Just... letters page for five makes a comment, not the one that you shared with me, but a comment addressing a question about Pigeon's role in the story. And he sure answered in a way that makes it sound like this thing is going to be far bigger than even the characters that we've met thus far. Um, so I'm eager as hell to hopefully read this for years to come honestly i skimmed over the letters page because there was sort of so much but i might have to get back i skimmed you now. it's the first question yeah. that gets asked they basically were okay. like hey i really maybe i did read them is pigeon at the center of the story still and rick was like yeah well for now at least 
And I was like, okay, well, for now means that there's right, going to be more yeah. to this story even bigger than what it seems like the focal point is. Well, yeah, because also, I mean, like, I mean, the ending, oh my god, but the, like, there was also a bit of a reveal in the fifth issue that I didn't think we'd seen before, tight before, which was super exciting, but, oh, what, so what a book. Please read Sacrificers, uh, and for fun, if you manage to listen this far in this episode, you should send me and Joe a message with just a code word that we come up with right now. <laughs> For me, if you just type in bacon beans and send it to me at Mighty Lee Comics, I will know that you listen to this full episode, and it'll mean the world to me because for some reason you felt that me and Joe were interesting enough for you. And that means a lot. It's like when, when I wrote some of like, my most longest reviews on League of Comic Geeks, and I, 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 sometimes I included a little note at the end. It's like, oh, thank you for reading all the way through. And then someone like, commented, was like, oh, yeah, by the way, I read all the way through. And I'm like, thank you. That, that means a lot. I appreciate it. I never dare put something like that in my Instagram reviews because I would just constantly have the RSD of knowing that nobody comments on my posts to say that they that, read it. That's true. That's why I. That's why I sometimes <laughs> can't put stuff like that. But some, sometimes, sometimes like equally, I feel like I have to put something because because it's like that's why I said bacon that, beans. That's why I said bacon beans because if somebody messages me with that. I'm either going to forget it altogether or they're going to have to tell they're going to have to tell me, yeah, it means I listen to all of the podcasts, all three and a half hours. And I'll say, hey, you have my heart and uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Joe. I, this, you you could have done this by yourself. You could have had any of your other comic friends on. And it, it means a lot that you, you brought little me back on to have this, you know, almost seven hour discussion about comics. I know. Yeah, thank you for, for coming back on to this song. I know that we've still got one more to record, one more for you to listen to. If you're listening to this like soon after it comes out next week, the best movies and shows of the year, which I keep telling myself won't be as long as, as the best comics one, but then I told myself this wasn't the best, wasn't going to be as long, and I'm sure that people are laughing at my comment earlier when I said this wouldn't be as long and just laughing at that duration knowing ahead of listening to this but who cares we we had a fun time It'll and be like i hope you did too listener. it's truncated i'm sure <laughs> yes hopefully we'll, that will take out some of it but yes apart from that uh we'll just like, you thank you yeah and i will roll the outro Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics.gmail.com. Additionally, if you need any back issues, ratio variants, core variants, or just anything in general cool stuff to do with comics, you can check out the website for Beaders Thingamajiggets, the comic book store in Fort Collins, Colorado, and most of these comics worked at. And use Joe Loves Comics at checkout to get 15% off. I don't get any money for that. It's just a cool thing for you to use if you want to, yeah, check out their site and if you see anything that you like. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Joe Talks Comics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Loves Comics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye.